Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. Emma is looking after this morning's show. Coming up on the programme this morning, a Tipperary traveller family forced out of their home because of the most extreme conditions. There's concern for the Cashel Minor Injuries Unit. So financial advice with Francis O'Hanlon. We have global politics with uh, Thomas Conway. Weekend sports review. And of course, travel tales with Fergal O'Keefe as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 3311. We have a fantastic prize for you every day this week. We have a 100 euro Aramount Furniture Nina vouchers to give away on a tip today and it's to celebrate their brand new range of garden furniture. And uh, that 100 euro voucher is based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put Aramont at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that. So that's a €100 Euro voucher to give away towards the end of the programme today and every day this week. A quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Indo, first of all, dominated by a picture of former Taoiseach Enda Kenny, who, uh, at the age of 71, he's on the mend after a cancer uh, operation. He's in robust good health and is well on the road to recovery, is the news there. Also on the Indo today, thousands of homeowners coming to the end of a fixed-rate mortgage uh, have been warned. They face hikes of almost €500 in their monthly repayments and uh, seemingly around 50,000 homeowners will roll off fixed rates in the next three years. We'll be speaking to Francis O'Hanlon about that and other stuff today on our financial slot as well. The Irish Daily Mail, relief for renters as vacant properties are targeted. And uh, that's a story by Christian McCashin. Uh, tells us that new measures to protect renters are being planned by the government amid fears thousands could face homelessness if the eviction ban is lifted. Uh, The Irish Examiner and their um, headline story is uh, the country's hospitals saw record levels of inpatient cancellations over the winter winter months as the health uh, system struggled with an emergency department crisis. Uh, Right across the newspapers today as well, and uh, on the front of the Irish Times, Sunak to sign Northern Ireland Protocol deal with the EU. The British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, will meet in the UK today to sign a new agreement on the Northern Ireland Protocol after months of negotiation. Now, needless to say, focus will immediately switch to the Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP, whose leader, Geoffrey Donaldson, must now decide if he should back the deal and restore the Stormont uh, power-sharing institutions. It will be interesting to see what happens there. Also on the Times today, uh, GlaxoSmithKline pushed back repeatedly against uh, demands to pay reparations uh, for clinical trials on uh, mother and baby home children after Minister for Children Roderick O'Gorman urged the drug company to accept corporate responsibility for the way uh, tests were carried out. So I'm sure there's much more to come on that. That's a quick peek at uh, what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to comment on any of that, uh, 083 311 Now, the Rileys are a travelling family living in casual. The family is Bridget and John and their 11 children. They can no longer live in their mobile home as it is rat-infested and they are now in a small four-birth caravan. I met the family on Thursday. I was appalled, absolutely appalled, by what I saw. John began by telling me how his family are coping 
old friend there before Christmas, uh, rats got hinted. And he ate through all the Christmas stuff, all the clothes belonged to the kids, boots. Basically, everything that was in the mobile home is the more good. So I had to buy a 16-foot, 17-foot caravan here, put a stove into it and move into it. And I'd been in here since Christmas. Myself and the wife and 11 kids. And to be honest with you, I'm overcrowded here. Like, it's too small. And will you describe where we are? We're, we're in the caravan that you bought because yeah. you can't live in your mobile home anymore. But it looks to me like a, a small caravan. It is small. It's only just two beds in it. And 11 children. 11 children in it, yeah. Well, where, where do they sleep, John? Well, I have the, this here fan, as you can see. This is one bed here. Unless the girls lie in this, the boys lie on the floor. And this little small bump over here, unless it's the small fellas uh, lie. The baby's in the cot. And one of them lie, maybe sometimes one or two lie foot of us in the bed. And what is the result of that? Well, the result is I'm on a four to five year waiting plan, the council said. And Jimmy O'Brien came out and he said he's trying to get emergency funding for the building a place. And uh, your man up in Dublin, whoever the head fella is up there, he's not, he's not moving. He's not giving all funding. He, he turned it down twice. But John, there's 11 children and 11, yourselves yeah, living in such cramps. Yeah. And what happens, I mean, where washing facilities are concerned? Well, friend, we have to go down to the wash house here maybe three, four times a week. Or unless sometimes she hand washes. And and toilets? Plastic toilet there, no friend, as you can see in the way in. We've no run of water. All we have is that barrel thing you might have saw in the way in. That's what we have. They fill that once a week. They clean the toilet once a week. That's it. T tell me about the rats, because what I saw of the mobile home, I mean, it's unlivable now, isn't it? Oh, Jesus, the do only the dogs is in it, no, friend. Friend, this place here is sniving with rats. You have McDonald's, you have the recycle, and you have the cornfield at the back. Now, in fairness, the dogs do kill a lot of them, but even poison them a week, two weeks to back. You, you saw them with the children one night? Yes, I came back home one night from the young fellas boxing and I saw two young rats on top of the bed where the kids was asleep. So I had to just lock up the doors and take the kids out and buy this, put a stove into there, look. That's what I had to do now, friend. Do you get annoyed that, you know, you might see other people getting accommodation, being looked after? Sure, friend, I do, to be honest. Because it's, kind of it's hard on the bigger young ones here, as you can see yourself, just going to the bigger school above. You do have to go across to the brother's place there and get a shower or whatever. But, you know, at this day and age, like, it shouldn't be happening, to be honest. Yeah, you were saying it affected some of the kids going to school. It did, in yeah. Terms they didn't want the bigger ones there, didn't want to go to school. But you kind of have to go to school at this day and age, friend, you know that. Yeah. But, but why didn't they want to go to school specifically? Well, to be honest, the smaller ones was uh, kind of when we all lined in together was wetting them. And when they go to school, then the other children were saying that there was a smell of them and this and that. So that's the story, no, Fran? What what are you looking for specifically, John? Fran, I'm not looking for a mansion on a hill. All I want is they're meant to be building me a place but it's going to take three to four years. Right. All I want is something that maybe a different mobile home or something temporarily until they do that. Right. But did you tell me as well that part of the issue is that they don't see your place here as being legally parked? Is That's that right, yeah. I'm here with the last eight and a half, nearly nine years, and they held, they held a meeting here before, I think it was after Christmas, and your one in Clamel turned it down, the head one in Clamel, I don't know her. She turned it down, she said I'm parked here illegally.
Right. And so therefore you won't get help. That's basically on their terms. Right. So you, okay, even if we take it that you're parked here illegally, are, are they giving you an option to go somewhere legal to park? No. No. So there isn't an option there. There's no option. They're building me a, they're maybe building me a place, friend. Like the brothers have across, they're putting in like a big shelly thing. But across at the back of the bro over near the recycle. But it's from three to four years. Could even take five years. Right. And in the meantime, some of your older this. and some of your older children will be Probably gone. Yeah. Bridget, would you sit down with me for a moment? Because I, I see you struggling to get baby stuff ready there. It's hard, Frank. Like it's unbearable. It's only a bit of a breakfast cooker there but we have to cook and I'm mostly in the fire. You have a little stove here yeah. that, that John put in, and that's where you're you're Cooking. heating your water. In. Yeah, yes. by the like, for for teen yolks. Is it is it one ring you have there available? Is it on the cooker? Two, Frank. Two, right. But you can't light the back one, like, cause the boiling one fire, like. So it's right. only one. It's only one ring, like, you can only use. And what is life like on a daily basis? Hard, Frank. Hard was eleven kids, like, in this. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, I'm trying to give people a sense of how small this space is, but it's a, it's a modest-sized caravan, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what can you look forward to? Or, like, what can you have there for a bit of enjoyment or stuff when, you, when you're when you in it? There's nothing, Frank. There's not even a bit electric light. There's a battery over there we have to charge a format. There's right. no electric, no nothing. No electricity? No. No. No running water? No running water, no bats. Only a portable loo once a week and we'll, uh, clean out. What age are you, Mary? I'm 13. You're 13, so you're wearing your school uniform and you're, yeah. you're going to school. You t tell me about being 13 and, you know, living in conditions like this. Uh, let's say it's very... It's no space in here. Um, how about us? And getting ready for school? Oh, yeah. That's very hard to get ready in here um, for school. Yeah. Especially for the small ones as well. When it's freezing cold in the modern times... She used to get up very early and uh, light the fire. And uh, usually in, in winter, the smaller ones do be crying with the cold. Uh, really not crying enough. with the cold? Yeah. It was that cold. Yeah. Yeah. And would your friends, would they know about the conditions that you live in, Mary? Mm, they know, but they don't really know that well. What do you see your future as, Mary? Don't really know. But you're finding it tough. Yeah. Do you, do you think people would find it hard to believe the conditions that you... Because you're a beautiful young girl. I mean, do you, do you think they'd find it hard to believe the conditions that you're in? Yeah. I think some people... I think some people um, don't know how hard it is to actually love her. Especially with the rats. They're disgusting things. Yeah. So you, you would have seen them? Yeah, see them know. all the time. See the dogs killing them. See them out in, in, out in the ground and all. Yeah, they're that disgusting. Must be dreadful. Yeah. There was one over there the last day that was dead. The dog killed her and it still looked like it was alive. It was disgusting. It was just. I see some people getting things and they're not in poverty or anything and they're just getting things handed to them. And then we're just here living in poverty. Why, why do you think that is, Mary? Don't know. Don't know, no. Right, but it makes you cross. Yeah. 
Yeah, you must be very proud of her, John. She's a beautiful girl. Ah, she's, 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 she's well brilliant. spoken and she's. Well, friend, I, I never done any schooling myself. I went to the convent school above. My father done a lot of travelling when we were younger, but uh, I can't read or write. So we got letters, she to read them, or texts or anything like that. So it's good to have her, like, to be able to read and write. She goes to school all the time. She don't miss school. She loves school. So I try and keep him in school as long as I can. Do you, you, you rate that as very important? Oh, Jesus, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Even the smaller ones now, they have to be very, very sick before they live in I don't begrudge anyone getting that, and I wish them luck, but... I actually would like something done for me at this stage. Because, like, I have a big family there, and they're all grown up. I have small children there, as you can see. And I don't want to be bringing them up and that. Times are hard here. In the winter here, in winter here now, uh, Fran. Dreadful. Dreadful in the winter. Now Mary was saying that the kids are freezing in the mornings. Well, nearly every morning I'd be at 6 o'clock before they'd wake, and I'd have that stove blast before they'd even wake. But you'd have to do that. You'd have to do it. That's It's a routine. You have to do that. But in the winter, probably I'd have to be up at five. Or sometimes we'd keep lighting all night. It'd never go out, all day and night. All right, to politicians who might be listening, say what you have to say to them, John. Well, we could do with a bit of help. We'll get somewhere. Simple as that? Simple as. There's no roundabout about it. That's straight out. Like we're here with the last nearly nine years. We hardly ever see a councilman. And when we do, it's not very often. And that's the Riley family uh, living there in Cashel in that uh, very small caravan indeed. Now, Tipperary Rural Traveller Project uh, Family Support Team works with individual traveller families to identify their own needs and develop um, pathways to meet those needs and achieve their goals as well. Jack Griffin is a Tipperary Rural uh, Traveller Project Family Support Worker and he joins me now. Jack, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well, indeed. Good to talk to you today. You've been working with this family for quite a number of years, Jack. Yeah, I have. And I think um, John and, and Bridget and, and Mary described it very well. You know, they're living in conditions where they, they don't have electricity. Um, they don't have access to um, running water where they can take showers and 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 have a washing machine and wash. Um and uh, they don't have proper access to, to toilets and sanitation facilities, you know. And, and as you said, he's been in that situation for close to 10 years. What do you put it down to? Is it the fact that, you know, the authority are looking at it, that uh, they're illegally parked in that particular bay? Is, is that what's at the core of this, Jack, or is there something else? Uh, well, I, I think that, I mean... Technically, um, by by the council's definition, it's an unauthorised site mm, or, yeah. or whatever that would be. Now, I mean, we can look at the history of, of travellers were nomadic people. Mm-hmm. They moved around. The you know the um, trespassing act kind of stopped that. But but certainly, you know, we've made the council aware over years of the conditions that they were living in. And 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 just to put that in perspective, you know, like there's a lot of. Um, research around trauma and ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences. So if, if you're living in poverty, uh, if you're living um, 
socially excluded and, and, and in very, very poor conditions. That has impacts on your mental health, your physical health, all throughout your lifespan. So the conditions that those children are living in um, is going to impact them across their lifespan. So, and, and you know, the, getting something done about it, it is complex. But certainly one of the reasons, I suppose, was that, you know, that it's not um, it's not an official site. And, mm. um, and there was, you know, a disagreement there about their eligibility for proper accommodation. And that has being a challenge, yeah. Some of the commentary, and it's it's very important for us to make this clear, some of the com- commentary was centred around the fact, why don't they do something for themselves? Now, John was telling me himself, Jack, and you can back this up, I know as well, he was willing to pay for a, a mobile home himself to be put on the site, but seemingly without paperwork from the authority, that can't even happen. Yeah, well, I mean, just just to put it in some perspective, so they were in a, that larger mobile, which they had had to move out of because it became rat infested, and it, it was a danger. It was a danger, so they've moved into a sixteen foot um, small caravan that they provided themselves. Now that's sixteen foot for thirteen people. You can manage the, imagine the level of overcrowding yeah. of that, and. You know, they described it, you know, five boys on the floor, six girls in a, in another bed. If the babies are bedwetting, then children are going mm. to school smelling of urine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about about that that, that kind of level, you know. So um, in terms of, sorry, ask me your question there again in terms of the... um, Well, I I was just making the point, and again, I'm going on some of what was coming into us by way of uh, conversation around this, is, you know, why can't they do something for themselves? But, I mean, John told me he was willing to do that, but he needs documentation from the council that he can put another mobile home on the site. Yeah, and, and to answer that, I mean, the response to this is bigger than just putting in another mobile on that site because mm-hmm. of the conditions, because of the lack of water, because of proper no proper sanitation, no electricity. Even if you put another mobile on that site, it would fall into disrepair. The really important point here is that nobody, not you, not I, not anybody, can live in conditions where they don't have proper sanitation, water, electricity. Anyone would fall into disrepair. So the, the answer isn't even to put a new mobile in there, mm. which which John would if he could. Mm. The, the, the answer is that any that's setting someone up to fail. What's needed is a response where people can live in dignity, where they have enough space, where they have proper sanitation, where they have water, where they have electricity. And and just to say, we work with a lot of families, families that would have been in that condition, very similar to to them and we've advocated and we've fought and once they were provided with proper accommodation with a container outside to have a washing machine and a dryer where they had toilets showers you know things changed they were able to manage but you can't type two people's hands behind their back and then blame them when it doesn't work so you know even putting a new mobile in there within four months it would be the same situation so that's not that's not a, 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 a a response. It's not, yes. it's not an adequate response. Right, but again, I was just answering some queries on that, uh, just making yeah. it quite clear of what John, yeah, John I, I, wanted I, to absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he, w- he would be prepared to... Now, I'm not sure the, the, the exact logistics of him not being able to, but he did mention that to me as well, that um, that he wasn't able to get a mobile. But he, he has put in a mobile in there of his own means before, and I'm sure he would again. Yeah, and, you know, the thing that would strike a lot of people as well, and the last thing we want to do is set people against each other, but, I mean, that would not happen to refugees or asylum seekers. They would not have to live in those conditions. Yeah, look, I, I, I think you're I think you're very right in that, Fran. The, the important thing is not to pit um, 
vulnerable people against each other. No. People living in poverty and people that are vulnerable. Um, you know, but I, I think it's important to state that travellers experience racism and discrimination in Ireland. Now, that's not just my opinion. That's, you know, the, the United Nations Convention of Human Rights have said it. Um, there was a, third, uh, you know, a survey in 2017, the National, uh, the Traveller Community National Survey, that said, you know, you know, 91% of people wouldn't have travellers as, as a family member. 85 wouldn't have a traveller as a friend. 83 wouldn't employ a traveller. Um, and 78% of people wouldn't have a traveller as a neighbour. So there's there's a lot of discrimination in Ireland against travellers. And, you know, when that when you put up that piece on Facebook yesterday, a lot of the comments were, you know, this is people's own fault. Yeah. They brought it upon yeah. themselves. Um, you know, and, and I think the, the important thing to say about that is the thing about kind of racist languages, it, it's very consistent over time and space. So those kind of ideas, those racist tropes, they were used against, you know, blacks in the southern states of America. They were used against Irish immigrants in the 19th century and Irish in, in Britain. You know, this idea that so it's people's own fault. And I think that when that's the narrative about about what the situation is, about people living in poverty, people experiencing social exclusion, then there isn't a public and a political will to do something about it. And I think that's what there's a real lack of here, a real uh, respect for the people, respect for the culture, and a political um, and social will that people, that Irish citizens in the Irish state in 2023 would not be living in poverty, would not have children, uh, you know, not going to school because their clothes were eaten by rats, uh, who children who can't go to the toilet, who can't have a shower. You know, and, and, and that's not acceptable. But if the narrative is that it's, that it's their own fault, then where's the political will to change? I'm sure you experience this an awful lot more than I do, but I couldn't get over the amount of personal abuse I got over the weekend for highlighting this or for advocating for these people. I'm sure you come across that all the time, do you? Yeah, I I, I mean, absolutely. Look, you know, again, that's the narrative. And I I was just in preparation for the interview. I was actually reading over last night about um, how how Irish people were depicted uh, around in England around the time of the famine. And it was all... You know they were they were to blame for it. You know so they you know they were lazy. They had bad morals. They were dirty, and it was like and and as the English you know kind of the, the British taxpayer is supposed to pay for this. So you know that kind of narrative goes back generations. It's it's an old racist trope. Um, this idea that 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 people are to blame for their poverty. They're to blame for the discrimination. You know if you look at the traveller culture, you know. Um, their infant mortality rates, their their child mortality rates, their life expectancy, educational disadvantage, mm. exclusion from the labour market. When you know, what is it? You know, yeah. kind and, of. And the recent many, one on you know, suicide, Jack, was just uh, so yeah, sobering, seven, wasn't it? Seven times, you know, and, and mm. some of those comments they that were put on your Facebook, you know, basically that kind of dehumanising language of, of these people, because you know, kind of being less than rats, you know, like that young girl that you. We're talking to their Mary. Mary. Like, yeah. I, I, we brought her to to Dublin last week on the train to see one of the oldest uh, surviving tinsmiths. And you know, what a you know beautiful girl, beautiful children. We brought up, you know, dressed up, looked great on the on the train. You know, taking photographs on TikTok. You know, these are young people that are living in extreme poverty, and 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 you know, their resilience to be able to to, to I, I I don't know where they get the resilience from to be able to live in those conditions and still be able to, 
to keep on going, you know. Yeah, I mean, it it completely blew me away. Uh, the, I, I didn't realise no electricity, no running water. I mean, I saw the loo situation. And I mean, we don't want to go into the detail of a Jack, but no. I mean, for God's sake, to have young kids there with that. No, show. no, it, 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 absolutely. And it's dangerous. You know, I mean, if you, you know, yeah. if, you, if you have a, a, a rat infested site, you know, and if you have, um, no lights at night and and, and, and kind of that dirty around the place. Like, it's dangerous. Um, it's dangerous from a physical point of view, but, I mean, I think the really important thing is to say from, um, you know, mental health and, uh, and point of view, you know, that over a long period of time, that experience and going to school and, and having that, say, other children maybe not wanting to sit beside you because, you know, it was bedwetting and the mm-hmm. children, you know, that whole experience over a long period of time is, is extremely damaging, you know. Um, what can yeah. be done, Jack? I mean, what should be done right now, for instance? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's a good point. Look, we, we've brought this to the attention of the council over the years, the condition that the family are living in. And, you know, we've been frustrated that there's been slow in movement. But in fairness to, to, to the council, you know, the schools have made contact with the council. Even the guards have made contact with the council. So there is a a realization and there's an acceptance within the council that these conditions are not okay at a local level and they've you know we, we, we've come up collaboratively with the family with a plan where they'd move to another bay where they'd have their facilities um and that you know that they'd have running water mm. that have electricity that have the toilet now the difficulty with it is as, as john alluded to is that you know there's bureaucracy around this and there's you know and i know there has to be a process but you know looking for emergency funding to provide that you know the council makes an application to the department of housing and that's been slowing that hasn't come back and and the difficulty is you know this is an emergency situation the children can't live in this situation for well, two john three, is there four. not finance that's ring fenced for this that is rarely spent in its entirety yeah, absolutely. There is there is finance that 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 ring ring fence for traveller accommodation. And again, it, it, it comes back to, to a bureaucratic thing. That it's so slow, even applying for it. And it, you know, as you said, you've been there the other day, Fred. Imagine saying to someone, you, you know, we've got a plan and we'll do it, but it'll be in three or four years. So for three or four years, you know, to live in those conditions, you know, that you know, so there has to be a situation where you know, if if, if guards at schools, if professionals like me say, look. This is unsafe. Um, this has a huge impact on mental health, on physical health. This is unsafe, and it can't happen. That there needs to be a process where that can be expedited and done quickly. Because in tw- in 2023, no no citizen of the state or nobody living in the state should be living in those conditions. Um, yeah, I, 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 as I say, I can't even uh, sort of impart to people what I witnessed the other day to see human beings living like that. And and uh, the kids are lovely and they're they're well spoken and they're manly and stuff. You know, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I know. I, I, absolutely. And, and yeah, and I, just, just just to reiterate, I suppose mm. because it's not about kind of like at this stage. There's a long history of this, and as I said, the council have been made aware. Of, but it's not about vilifying anybody. And and I, you know, I work closely yeah. with people in the council yeah. and, and traveller liaison officers and that. And you know, these are people who who have seen that and and who 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 agree and who are upset too about the conditions. The problem is is is, is it that it's not moving and it's not changing uh, fast enough, and it's and it's not being done. And I think there is a narrative kind of out there, and I saw it on some of the comments yesterday about. Um, Oh, you know, this idea of people want everything done for them and they want this and they want that. You know, anybody living in conditions that that's extremely dangerous to their to their health should be provided with proper accommodation. But what the family are looking for 
is accommodation where they have enough enough room for their family uh, and where they have to- toilet, where they have water, where they have sanitation and where they can live their lives. You know, that is a very basic requirement of people. It's not, um, um, you know, it's a very basic requirement that they're looking for. And sometimes the, the narrative is, or people want handouts and they want this and they want everything. And that, that, that kind of racist tropes and those narratives um, damage um, the, the reality of the situation, which is people are just looking to live in dignity. All right, Jack, good to talk to you today and thanks for making time for us. Thank you. Good morning to you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. 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 Jack Griffin there from the Tipperary Rural Traveller Project, 1800 938 The text and WhatsApp is 83 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Glad to be joined now by Sinn Fein TD for Tipperary, uh, Deputy Martin Brown. Good morning to you, Martin. Morning, Frank. Morning, uh, a couple of things to talk to you about, Martin. But first of all, could I get um, your opinion on the Riley family there in Cashel? Because I know that you've been in touch with them and trying to, to get them some help. What What is the story, Martin? What is the impediment here? The impediment, Fran, is the emergency funding that the council has tried to source from the department. It's been bureaucracy, red tape, holding it up at the minute. Now, and I, to be fair to the Prairie County Council, they are probably one of the local authorities that spend their funding, full funding every year, and probably go beyond what they're allocated. But we all know that there's two-thirds of money that's allocated to travellers, to county councils during the year, returned mm. that it isn't spent. And it seems to be a situation that the likes of Tipperary who overspend cannot uh, get their hands on some of that money that goes back into central government and it's left in a pot above until again next year the councils go looking for emergency funding. Now we've been in touch with the minister and junior minister uh, because Jack and we spoke to the family and we spoke to the council to try and get that money released for a situation like John and Bridget and their family are caught up in. Mm. And I mean any idea about a time scale on this Martin? No and that's the yeah. I suppose frustrating about it is that you're contacting departments and that and just so slow any of their responses coming back. But as Jack said there, we were kind of hoping that when you had schools, the guards and all services pleading for this family that something may move faster. But look at well, I can assure you that we will keep uh, and to him, and we'll support the council in trying to get that uh, emergency funding. Is it fair to say, though, Martin, if this was any other group of people or any other uh, family from a, a different grouping, that this would be front page news all over the place and something would be done very quickly? Oh, look, it probably is, Fran, but as you said there, I'm slow to piss one section straight against another. Mm, I know. I'm, I you fully know. believe, and I've spoken to you before about. Uh, the site over in the other side of McDonald's Wall as well. Yeah. I fully believe that if we all work together, council, the travellers, the board, groups, travel, South Tipperary Traveller Project, all these problems can be solved and solved in a speedy uh, way. It's just this red tape that holds everything up and it gets so frustrating for everybody. Right. Like, we've got to realise 
85% of the funding for travellers was cut during the austerity years. Now, you can take any section of society to cut um, the funding 85% from. You will finish up down the road with problems. And we still haven't gotten back to where the full allocation is, where we were in them times before the 85% was cut down. And that's where you need to get back to. Like, I see some of your comments on your social, the social media there, mm. and mm. you know by him that people don't even realise the situation the family's in. Some people were out of houses and all that. Yeah. They were never in a house. They were in that mobile, and you, you showed the conditions that were there. Now they're in a 16-foot uh, caravan to try and get away from that. And something needs to be done. Now, to be fair to Tipperary County Council, they have a situation... There's a working group there of 22 different groups mm. to try and implement the delivery of their own strategic plan as far as travellers are concerned. And look, there's a wide range of HSE, Department of Social and Family Affairs. I won't rattle off the 22, but there's 22 different groups there. And it just comes down to funding to implement what these groups are trying to achieve. Yeah, well, hopefully something can happen pretty Pretty quick, Martin, because, like, you know, as I say, I, I was appalled by what I saw anyway, and, you know... but Yeah, well, look, we're, we're looking at that on a daily yeah. basis, Brandon. I know John and Bridget and most of their children, yeah. and I work with the lads up there, and everybody will tell you that it's education, education, but can you imagine the likes of, and you spoke to Mary, getting up in them conditions and going to school? Like, I was at a... Press launch about for the Belly Farmers traveller groups in Dublin during the week. And one of the things that actually came up with a quote from one of the mothers is when I get up and I get my kids ready for school, my health sinks. You're too young to know what's going on, but soon enough it will hit them at some stage. Like that's driving that. This is the kind of situation that Mary and other traveller children are facing. They're going out to school in the month. And yeah. water, electricity, have in 2023, it should be. There shouldn't be a question of not having sight uh, service like that. Well, well, that's that's uh, for sure. Can I just ask you about something else, Martin? Because yeah. we got some calls on this, and that's the minor injuries uh, unit in Cashel. This um, a listener brought a daughter. Uh, with an ankle injury, told nothing could be done there, no doctors, no x-rays there. Um, it's a sad state, says our listener. What what do you know about this, Martin? We've been, since he contacted us, and I see the that quote, we've been trying to find out information. There doesn't seem to be a problem there, Fran. Now, on yes, the child that was brought there was under three years of age. Now, and I know from personal experience with our own grandson, under threes won't be seen in the primary care centres that they're sent to plan to the paediatric units, right? Uh, now, X-rays, they are the responsibility of the hospital active services. So it, they are not supplied by the primary care units below. But we're being assured that there was doctors on site uh, and they have asked us that if we bring that particular case that they're not aware of at this stage, that they will investigate it and follow it up for us. So if that woman or gentleman, whoever was, contact you, if they want to contact you again or contact us, we will follow it up for them. And we've been assured by the unit blow that they will follow it up for him as right. well. I'm, I'm sure you're, that day. you remember, I'm sure you and I spoke about this at one stage when it was very difficult to get yeah. doctor cover there. Is is that 
is that sorted now at this point? Well, no. Like I spoke to, I spoke to him probably a half hour ago, just before I came on, to clear it up. And we're being told that there's doctors on site that there is no problem there. Whatever happened that day, we need to find out that it doesn't uh, get repeated. And I said. Right, but do you think it might be a case that the 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 age of the child is that? I, I have a feeling maybe the age of the child that uh, was supposed. To, and look at and I know myself, like I said, from our grandson the night when you go down to be told that you're not going to be looked at, you need to go to Carmel mm. with a child under three. Mm. But that's the way it is down there. And well, why is that, Martin? I'm trying to get my head around that. I I that? don't know to be sure, Fran. I think it's just that once they're that age. That is down into its pediatric units where you would have people experienced enough with that age group to deal with them. Right. Okay. That maybe maybe the people are the doctors below, especially at if you're dealing with uh, needing an X-ray in that as well. Is that you're sent down to Clanmel to the pediatric unit? But they have assured us this morning that as a quarter to nine that they weren't aware of the problem that has been raised and that if that person or family gets in touch with it yourselves or myself, that they will follow it up for them and okay. see what happened there. But but right now there are doctors available and there's x-ray facility there as well. Uh, it, well, no, like I said, the x-ray facilities are provided by the hospital active services unit. That is not the primary care unit as well. So it's maybe yes. a doctor will send you in for an x-ray to their a specific x-ray. Right, but they are on site, though. They're on site, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, Martin, thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's Sinn Féin, uh, TD4, Tipperary, Martin Brown this morning. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, we have those €100 Euro vouchers to give away for Aramont uh, Furniture in Nina. They're celebrating their brand new range of garden furniture. And uh, that voucher is based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put uh, uh, Aramont at the end of your contribution, we'll pop you in to the draw. Now, we're staying with Cashel because there were reports of antisocial behaviour in the town at the weekend. A great old friend of mine, Kieran Fitzgerald, posted about this on his social media. And he joins me now. Kieran, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. It's so long since I was talking to you, I totally know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always good to talk to you anyway, Kieran. Uh, yes. Will you tell me what happened on Bortlock Street uh, over the weekend, Kieran? Uh, I was sitting here on uh, Friday night, uh, Fran, and I was thinking of going to bed at about 20 past 11. And next thing I... Went to the, I heard an awful lot of noise, and I went to the door, and wicked commotion there up at the top of up, up near Aldi there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just watched and watched, and this one was kicking the door and going in, out in the middle of the road, kicking the door. And I so I decided to ring care guard station at 1131. And... Uh, so, lovely guard there said he'd send on someone. Mm-hmm. And uh, at 11.38, she was going really mad. And I rang here again because she was out in the middle of the road trying to stop traffic and everything. And uh, just as I was talking to the guard, she broke the window. 
and the squad car came on. Broke from, the window in a, in a house there, in a house, was it? In yeah. a house, yeah, yeah. And uh, she was roaring and screaming, and uh, she did. You know, it, 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 it only took seven minutes from my call to the to care. Mm. And there was a guard there at 11.38, you know, which was excellent. And unfortunately then, it ended up the fire brigade came. And then the fire brigade uh, jeep came. And uh, two more squad cars. But, um, and and uh, wh- why were the fire brigades there, Kieran? I, I, I know often... Uh, when there's someone in the house that, ah, um, right. okay. you know, that there's uh, some issue yeah. about guards going in and that. I don't know. I wouldn't know. That, oh, I that, see what you mean. That, All right. Um, the, 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 po- the point you were making on Facebook here and though was, yeah. I mean, a lot of older people living uh, along there on that street. And I mean, yeah. they must have been very frightened by this. They're absolutely frightened. Um, you know, the people... I'm living on the street 75 years mm. and there's a few people older than me living on the street, you know? Mm. And uh, it's not fair to people of that age or any age that um, the like to this is happening mm. on, 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 on the street, you know? Uh, yeah. The cost of that the other night now, fire, two fire brigades and, and, and three squad cars, you know, where they, where they could be out on other emergencies or something else, you know, this is what kills me. Yes. And, and I, was this drunken behaviour, Kieran? Was that what it was? It was I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it was, but it looked to me like loony stuff, yeah. you know. Um, I, I, I have no, I never have a reservation about ringing the guards. Mm. If I see antisocial behaviour, and I don't care who it is, uh, Brad, mm. you know. But and you you were people, a victim of this yourself, Kieran, over the I years. I was a, yeah? a, a terrible victim of it, uh, Brad, and the guys had been excellent to me. Mm. Uh, uh, Sergeant uh, Cochran and Pat Burke yeah. uh, looked after me as if I was washed for crystal after it, you know, because I almost got a, a nervous breakdown over the situation, Brad. And uh, I know what uh, antisocial behaviour is like. Yeah. You know? And are are um, you still suffering from that, Kieran? Are you still suffering the fallout well, of that? Well, I, I got out of it, friend, because I, I took to social media. I took to TikTok at yeah. that time. And, and uh, I, I took my mind completely off it. But there's older people than me that's not able to do it. Yes. I was talking to a person yesterday there that lived near beside the house and they kept banging on their window and they were inside totally frightened of their life, you know? Because, of course, the the houses there are on the footpath. I mean, there's no garden or something. So, yeah, if people are, are... If they're jarred or whatever, I mean, they can yeah. they can knock on doors and bang on windows and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. but they're, they're banging on that person's window because I'm standing at my own door looking up at her. Right. You know, yeah. she broke the window then and got in through the window. Oh, my God. You know, I'd say that's why the fire brigade had to come because I, I, there's some issue with uh, going into houses. And I saw somebody else posted... Um, 
on on your posting, if you know what I mean, yeah. that um, yeah. up, up at the the undertakers up on Ladies Well Street, somebody yeah, somebody of, broke uh, the lanterns off the. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, and you know it's unacceptable. You know, I, but I think there should be Gardaí on the beach. You know, yeah. I, I'm a great believer in Gardaí on the beach with lovely uh, lady guard from care. Uh, used to walk the streets there. Mm. And Sarah Blackburn was her name, mm. and she got to know everybody. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't know what's happening at well, the see, moment. See, resources yeah. are so scarce for them, and numbers so are down, scarce, and you yeah. know, yeah. But um, I think uh, when Gardy are on the beach, they get to know people, and they get to um, understand people, and yeah. they know they'll hear little things and. You have better society, I think. Yeah, and of course, you know, if these people who are prone to this kind of behaviour, if they know that Gardaí will are strolling the town and patrolling the town, they'll they'll think twice before they behave they'll in that fashion. Exactly, Frank. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And uh, our Garda station should be open longer, and anyway. we should be open Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, you know. But to have, uh, have older people frightened in their homes, Kieran, is just unacceptable, you know. It's unacceptable because I know what it's like, Frank. Yeah, I know you, you know? do. I know you, you do. You know, yeah. after being a victim of of all that, I know exactly what it is. That's why I got furious the, the other night and I posted up on Facebook. I don't normally post anything on Facebook anymore because mm. I usually... It's Twitter now, and I, I'd be on, yeah. you know. You got a big response to it, though, Karen. I did, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, uh, you know, um, the Tidy Towns had problems there last uh, I, I see it on their page there last week as well, pulling up there and up around uh, the back of the pipes there. Yeah. I think there was uh, flowers pulled, you know, and they're doing such wonderful work around the town, and you have and this and that, you know. Have and you it's thought, only a small minority. I know, but have you thought about this, Garen? Because I know I have and I can't come to any sort of conclusion about what makes people do that kind of thing. I mean, what is in their heads? Yeah, but there's so much room and drugs, etc., etc., going now, Fran, that you don't know what way people are, you know. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a man yesterday and he, he told me, uh, he passed the lad of about 16 off his head going up to town the other day. You know? 16. Off his rocker. Yeah, yeah. My God, my God. You know? Have you noticed a, a real deterioration over your years there in Bordock Street, uh, Kieran? Um, oh, oh Brand Brand was the nicest street in Ireland. Yeah. The nice... Uh, he was never out of my door. Now, in the 75 years I'm living in the house, the key was never out of the door. You had neighbours coming in, and we'd be going into the neighbour's house. And, uh, you know, and it's, we're living in a completely different society altogether. Yeah. You know, and it's sad. And and one one that you don't feel safe in, I guess, Kieran. No, you don't side, feel yeah. safe, you know. Um yeah. It took me. It took me almost six months to walk back up to town again. Do you know, Fran? You, 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 it, you know? It, it had such a, a traumatic effect on you. A, 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 an effect, yes. You know, and, and the, 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 
you have the Gardaí telling you there's uh, help here, there, and other, but it's pointless. I, I talked I, I, I to social media myself and cured myself, you know, friend, but I would be into that old thing. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I'm delighted to hear. Now, in fairness to yeah. the Gardaí, they responded within, what was it, seven minutes? Uh, seven minutes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to compliment them on it, yeah, you know. for sure. Uh, because... Um, there's so many people critical of the Gardaí that, you know, it sickens me, yeah. you know. Because you know, your, so your experience enemies. has been a, a positive one with them over the years. Uh, uh, yeah. I know. All my yeah. life, yeah. all my life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kieran, a, little bit, yes. a little bit of respect goes an awful long way. Doesn't it just, know? indeed. Yeah. Kieran, it's great yeah. to talk to you yeah. again. You, you look and after you, yourself. I will indeed, Fran, and lovely talking to yourself and Emma this morning. Thanks. And hello to all our listeners out there. <laughs> They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, you're very kind. <laughs> Thanks, Kieran. Thanks. Right, Thanks. Fran. Look, look after yourself. That's my... My old friend Kieran Fitzgerald there from Boer Clark Street in Cashel. 1800-938-007. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. We have that €100 Euro voucher to give away in association with our friends at Aramont uh, Furniture in Nina and they're celebrating their brand new range of garden furniture. Doesn't that cheer you up? Anyway, that voucher based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp 83 Financial advice with FOH Financial Limited. Tried, trusted and experienced advice. See foh.ie. FOH Financial Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Francis O'Hanlon from FOH uh, Finance joining me in studio. Good morning to you, Francis. Hi, Fran. Lovely to see you. Um, we're going to begin with some texts and emails that we had uh, last time around because you were speaking to us about those lifetime Loans, and one mm. of the queries was if you had one of these loans and had to go into a nursing home and pay the HSE 7.5% for three years, would any equity be left to pay? At all. Do you want to just explain that first? Yeah, I suppose just to recap, this was this refers back to the lifetime and the reversion loan piece that we did uh, last month. So based on that comment, I suppose a point to remember here um, is if you are single and you go into a nursing home, you may be forced to sell the house at that point of entering the um, the nursing home. If it's considered a permanent move, that can be a condition of these loans now if it's a thing that there's a your spouse is still in the house then that doesn't apply obviously um, i'm sorry friends but would you just remind listeners again this is money that you would take from the equity that you own yeah so and, and that would, would be paid back when you pass yeah away absolutely yeah, okay. um so i suppose i would agree hmm. um you know, it, it's something that people need to be mindful of the terms and conditions of these loans and the interest that applies. And I said that before, if there's another way around this, possibly that might be something you need to consider. It might be that your children, might, who are the eventual beneficiaries of this loan, might be able to get together the money that you need um, because interest is clocking. And this person's right, there might be very little equity left. But again... 
this has to be about the individuals. Mm. If the individuals need money and they feel this is the only way that they can get it, if to make their life better whilst they're living, and that's the important word here, you mm. have to live. And if it makes your life better, and if it's a thing that you end up going into the nursing home and a chunk of it is taken because of that, and, you know, there is very little left so be it if mm. that makes your life better so that being the money that you need to make your life better and the money that you need to pay for the nursing home care which should enhance you know you're, you're not obliged to leave money after you that's exactly you the point that I'm yeah. trying to make here Fran it yeah. has, this is your asset your decision and that's what I would say we're, we're in aligned in uh, that thinking for certain I'm going to spend everything Francis and so you should <laughs> um, another um, uh, listener can you ask Francis about a new finance company now you decided not to go with naming yeah. the, the company but you can give us some information yeah so I'm just some, somebody texted in last month and asked if I knew anything about a new finance company the person will know if they're listening what what they were asking mm. um, called X so I'm deliberately blanking out the name but I did look up the firm I don't know anything about them is the first thing I would say, as in reputation or whatever. But um, I know that they, <clears throat> excuse me, are a mortgage intermediary and a credit intermediary. So they arrange mortgages and car loans and agri-finance. They appear to be regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland, which is important. Yes. So um, they're not giving the finance themselves. It's just the wording of the text made me think that maybe the person thought that they were like a bank for all the world. They're an intermediary. Uh, so they're arranging si similar, you know, as in we're financial advisors, but we also have that arm where we can arrange those things for people. Um, I would just say with any intermediary or financial advisor, before you engage, check they're authorised by the Central Bank of Ireland. Really important. And you can do that by contacting the central bank if you don't have access or if you're not you know well versed with computers mm. or whatever it be or you can go online and check it um and it should be obvious on the their website okay and also check their terms of business about fees and all of those things so that you're clear before you engage okay fair enough um this is a question i think you would have gotten quite a quite a few times over the years francis i have enough money in my savings yeah. i could clear my mortgage do you think i should do so i have a no penalty clause mortgage you you would have come across yeah, so my instinct times. is clear it right but, is it? yeah yeah but first the test you know are you paying more interest on in the mortgage than you are guaranteed and i say that in caps, right? Guaranteed on the savings if you leave it where it is. Um, if yes, and you don't have any big spend coming up where you'd need a big chunk of money or need to do work on the house or that you could end up borrowing from another source for something at a higher rate, like say you needed to upgrade your car and next minute you were borrowing at say 6 or 8% and the, the, the mortgage loan is a lot less than that. It might make more sense mm. to, to have your big spend from that money. It, it doesn't indicate how long more they have to pay, does no, it? No, I, I mean, okay. I, I would say if you have fallback money as well, and that's important, and there are no penalties to clear this mortgage, then clear it and celebrate <laughs> to know that you're debt free your mortgage is your home is yes. your own yes. but just check make sure that think about it have I anything to spend oh I need to change those windows you know you maybe just need to juggle it slightly right of course if money is just sitting in an account uh, yeah and it's probably that they're getting 0.01% and they're maybe taxed on that and it might be that they're paying 35 or 4% on the mortgage so 
Yeah, there you go. Course, it yeah. kind of speaks for itself. Have they, just on a, an aside, mm-hmm. have the banks responded to the rise in, in, in interest rates in terms of paying you money on your savings now? No. Not, not no. to any great extent, no. And the expectation is that they won't um, because, again, they're trying to supposedly hold back on some of the rates uh, for, for borrowers. Uh, so, therefore... Like if you look at some of the variable rates, haven't changed to any great extent. Right. Um, on mortgages, so therefore they're not passing them on to All deposit right. holders in an, to any great extent that I can see so far. Right. Uh, somebody else saying I would like to highlight an issue that may apply to many Tip FM listeners who are or have worked in England. The UK's national insurance are changing the rules on voluntary contributions in April. The changes will affect future pensions. Is it advisable for UK workers, past and present, to check their national insurance contributions records, which can be done online? Yeah. So I think it was Gary that sent this in. So was, thanks, yeah. Gary, for highlighting mm. this. Um, well worth a mention. Lots of former immigrants back living mm. um, in Ireland after spending time in the in the UK or whatever it be and thank God for it as they'd say back, back in the day for many of us back in the 1980s I suppose <clears throat> absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what I would say is yeah thanks Gary again for raising this this is a very specific area for very specific people who lived and worked in the UK and I would say from what I know you have to have had at least three consecutive years of national insurance while you were over there now they don't have to be full years so if for example somebody went over and they worked six months and then they came back and they went back over again my understanding is as long as it's three such consecutive years where they paid a stamp in each of those years then they would qualify to come in under this possibility so when I say the possibility the the UK state pension you have to have 10 years of stamps to qualify to even qualify to get right. the UK state pension. So this is an opportunity that they're uh, leaving there open until the 5th of April. So you have to do this before the 5th of April if you want to maximise. So they're giving people such as former Irish immigrants who have three consecutive years the, po- the chance to buy 16 years stamp back. Okay? So you're going to have to pay for that. And you, you've only got until the 5th of April. After that, it reduces back to maximum you can buy back is six years. So let's simplify this. If somebody had three years over there, right? Say they, they had the three consecutive years mm. and they think, well, I don't even qualify for a state pension over there because I don't have the 10. They can simply go and buy back the seven just that would qualify them for the 10 years or they can buy the full 16 and they can keep buying a stamp every year here forward right under the current rules to make up so that when they eventually get to 66 that they might have 20 or 25 years of uh, UK pension stamp now can I just say first of all I'm not advising on this I'm responding to Gary right and it needs to be highlighted this is very specific um, you need to do your own research on this because, remember, state pensions can change. Don't we know that here, right? But at the moment, this is the rule. They're allowing people that used to be over there who had three consecutive years to buy back up to 16 mm. years, right? And you can keep buying forward. Doesn't mean you have right. to buy 16 years. And what years. sort of cost are we talking about to buy back? So there's two. this is where it gets into it. Mm. There's two different types of stamp 
from what I understand, there's stamp two, which is, and again, I have to be careful saying this, which seems to be sufficient for your average bear that used, was in the UK for a few years. It came back. They're not going to be going back there. They're living here. They're part of the, the PSI system here or whatever it be. Class 2 seems to be efficient, sufficient. That's the cheaper stamp. I think it's going to be cost you about 100 and I'm going around at 164 euros mm. a year, right? Right. So um, if it's a thing that you want to get the all singing, all dancing stamp 3, then that's more expensive, a lot more expensive. But I don't know if you need that. But you really need to look into this for yourself. Um, so I would say... Um, class 2 seems to be for sufficient for most people subject to having lived and worked in the UK for three consecutive years have at least three qualifying tax years on their national insurance record now be living outside of the UK mm. have been employed in the UK up immediately before they left and be insurable abroad so that's our PRSI system okay so what I would say is Gary is right this has to be done before the 5th of April 23 and you can go back to 20, uh, 2006 so you're buying those 16 years you can buy it going forward mm. they'll prompt you every year there's not much time left but you know this is a fairly straightforward process from what I understand you can go online and do this and we might leave that address there the yes. international um, pension address you know just be careful, please. If it's a thing that you're going to do this or oh, research online or oh, I wanted such a crowd of doing it or whatever it be, just make sure they're legitimate. Please be careful who you're giving your information to or passing money to. But yeah, this is this is a thing, but you have a short window to right. do it. Very interesting indeed. All right then, we're on to something that we already have a call in on this. In fact, um, has the long-term fixed rate mortgage rate train left the building? Um, do you want me to bring you this this um, text from a, a listener just in conjunction with this, uh, uh, Francis? It says, uh, hi Fran, we're on a tracker mortgage of 1.5%, mm. about 85000 left to pay. Been through the ringer uh, when the Celtic Tiger fell off the cliff. I lost my business, my mind, and nearly my family and home. Will you ask Frances what she'd recommend doing? Stay as we are and take our chances or fix it. Oh, you know, what a question. Mm. There's so many things in that that are jumping at me. So the first thing, the obvious thing is tracker. You've heard me rant on about trackers over the years. You know, these are the trackers that the banks ended up it cost them millions and millions based on the errors that they'd made in that they left people without their trackers and people lost their trackers, so on and so forth. So this listener has one of these trackers. You know, a tracker is still a tracker. And whilst interest rates have gone up, I would say one and a half seems a bit low, mm. maybe now. Whilst interest rates have gone up, they probably will come down eventually. Again, I think we're well into the interest rate hike cycle Okay, so if this individual was fixing now, I'd say be careful, right? Because they're potentially going into a fixed rate that's probably relatively fairly expensive in the current climate. Okay, and I looked across the rate, some of the fixed rates are, are 
still fairly okay for the lower end, like maybe three, five years or whatever it be, I'd be careful about giving up your tracker. I'd be careful about fixing too long because rates will probably start to come back again. And if you're on a tracker, you get your automatically automatic right. decrease, the same as you get your automatic increase. But I have to hear what this person is saying. Mm, it's a modest you know, enough sum left, I suppose. Yeah, and, and, but it's a modest enough sum, but I have to hear what they said. Yes. You know, this caused them serious issue in past. Now, it might have been that the other issues were piling up behind them in past. It might be that financially and maybe mentally that they're better able to cope with it now. I, like The question here really is, and it was funny, we'd touched on this in, in our piece for this month, like some people I was putting down is a time to stay variable mm. is a time mm. to just stay on the surfboard surf the wave because a lot of the variable interest rates we mentioned that earlier yes. haven't gone up to the same extent some have it depends where you are so this is back to individual and specific advice about you and your circumstance right so and think I, think long and hard think long and hard I would say yeah. um, before you give up your tracker and think long and hard about fixing in for too long I think we're well into the interest rate height cycle and even hearing what they're saying the expectation is there's going to be another increase uh, next month and then they're maybe going to look at it after the summer again yeah. where there may be another increase but it's all down to inflation and at the end of the day the European Central Bank have acknowledged that the, a lot of the inflation is down to energy prices mm. as individuals we can't do anything about that right. that's not our spending habits but has it not peaked at this point yeah it's actually starting to come back yeah. and the expectation is that inflation will come back a bit faster than originally anticipated but again, Fran, listen, and we've said this over the years, mm. this is all well and good. This is all macro, you know, hovering mm. over it and, and talking in general terms. It's down to the individual. Yes. And for this individual, they have to do what suits them. They have to listen to what affected them in the past, how they felt about it. But maybe just be a little bit mm. more mindful. I'd hate for them to endure, like say two years time, they're sitting there and interest rates have come down one one and a half percent because inflation receded how yes. would they feel then that they'd given up their tracker and, and this and family has been through the wars uh, you know yeah. with the Celtic Tiger lost my business my mind yeah. and nearly uh, my family and yeah and you see this is about there has to be more okay it's numbers right and it's, yeah. it, to a certain extent you know again it's back it's kind of a gamble to a certain extent but you have to do what suits you and we say that all the time, be it markets, be it rates. It has to be, if this keeps you awake at night, yeah. you have to ask yeah. yourself, you know, what are you doing? You need to get to a comfort zone. All right, something else that we spoke about in the past as well, buy now, pay later stats. Mm. There's been a bit of an explosion in all of that. Yeah, God, do you know what? I was listening to a, a, an article um, on UK, a UK news channel. And I, I actually had to, to, to do, do a double take. They said, from my memory, that 12% of all the goods that were purchased in the UK last year was on a buy now, pay later basis. Wow. Which I, it really caught my wow. ear and I thought, oh my God, that's huge. Mm. Um, when you consider the size of the UK economy, yeah. um, probably the sixth largest economy in the world so it just made me look into it a little bit more because I know we had touched on it before mm. and thankfully um, in Ireland last year the central bank um, brought in regulation 
on buy now, pay laters. Mm. So I, I'm not saying buy now, pay later is a bad thing, right, for any means. It's actually a great way if you're really in tune of buying what you need and giving you maybe short-term zero uh, cost credit. Yes. But for any, let's just say of, let's say in Ireland that that's 5% or 3% of all goods and service purchased, right? There has to be an element of that that's not being repaid on time and that's costly. And from what the from what I looked across in the UK and the US, they're beginning to really see this as a problem. It's coming up, it's bubbling up in the form of debt problem. Um, through, I suppose, their various agencies, they can see it. Mm. And I'm sure if we spoke to MABS, they're probably seeing sure signs of it well. now as well. And of course, this would affect your credit rating. Um, absolutely, so absolutely. Yeah. So I would just say, really, you know, can be really positive, but be careful. Like when you're hearing in the UK that they're buying groceries on that basis, I'm thinking, okay. And it's the Sorry. age profile, Fran. You yeah. know, it's the know. 18s to yeah. 24s. They could end up in difficulty here. They really need to be yeah. aware of this. I wonder, because we spoke about it quite a bit over Christmas, and I'm just wondering how many people avail of that. Yeah, uh, and, and it, that's the age group, because yeah. they're the ones yeah. that are seeing, you know, all the flashing, the advertising, or whatever it be. Yeah, but older people, from what I'm looking across in the US and the UK, um, and let's not, we're, we're no different mm. if smaller, relatively, um, it's older generations are using as well, so just be careful. Just to be careful. We're going to finish with a, a very serious topic, mm. and that's financial abuse. And yeah. I know this is something you feel very strongly about. Yeah, and uh, do you know what? It was just funny. When I was in um, in January, um, Alison was reading out a text from a listener, and basically the gist of it was financial abuse, basically. Yes. And I just thought, you know... That can be from a domestic point of view, but it can also be elderly. And, you know, a lot of people are kind of thinking, oh, yeah, um, online or whatever it be. You know, I'm just talking about internally, right? This could be within your own household yeah. or whatever it be. And I'm not saying it's widespread, but I think it needs to be discussed. Um, you know, people, as I said, people are thinking of scams, but it can be more prolonged and destructive from your nearest and dearest. That's the reality. So... These relationships can vary. It could be husband, wife, 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 husband, husband, partners, father, mother, child, friend or neighbour. Okay, so let's be clear here. Some individuals in a household are maybe the natural financial controller. Mm. Okay, Um, but some may enforce that control and that's different. And that's maybe where we're coming from. You know, if we look at a domestic setting and if we're looking at, partners, husband, wife, 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 whatever. You know, I've heard people say we can't afford to break up, right? So that's different. I'd say in that, that might be just the practical reality Mm. that they're living together, but they actually can't afford to split up. Um, But look, whether that's the right situation for individuals in the long run, that's a different matter. I've also heard people saying, oh, that's my runaway fund. Usually tongue in cheek, but sometimes not. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, So let's not tar everyone with the same brush here again. I don't want people panicking who are either depending on somebody who controls their finance or who are the controller possibly for somebody. Again, it may be that somebody is naturally that person and it might be that they need Mm. to be because the other person is a financial disaster or they may have mental health issues, they may be a gambler, 
alcoholic, you name it, it may be that that needs to be the situation. So just to be specific for people, Francis, what exactly is financial abuse? I mean, how, how do you define it? Look, I suppose if we're talking about it in a, in a, um, a domestic situation, the the biggest thing is that it can be the one of the mo- most powerful methods of keeping somebody in an abusive situation. Right. Of controlling. Absolutely. It's yes. pure control. And yes. that's what we're talking about here. It's control. And, um, you know, I suppose th- people need to be aware that financial abuse occurs just as frequently in, in unhealthy relationships as other forms of abuse. So I think that's really important here to mention. Um Financial insecurity is probably one of the top reasons women return to abusive partners. Now, you know, obviously men can be victims of abuse Mm. as well. Mm. You you know, there's a statistic there that approximately one in seven men um, will experience some form of domestic Mm. violence. So I'm not Mm. here beating just the woman drum. I'm beating mm. the people drum. Well, and it that can they're... be coercive as well, of course. Francis, yeah. You know, Look, I mean, yeah. how do they do this? Controlling your spending, mm. how you're, or spending your money, um, ruining your credit history. I don't know how many times I've yeah. said that to people. Your, your credit history is so important because it can shackle you going forward. Um, you know, there might be a sense of entitlement to mm. your assets or to your money. You need to be careful. And interfering with your finances. And, and another thing that can sometimes be the case, and we're skimming over this, but, you know, interfering with your job. You in, know, In what way? What, I, what do you mean by I've that? I've heard the most bizarre situations over year. You know, it could be, oh, no, you shouldn't go for that job. Oh, no, would you be able for that? You know, it can be just getting into somebody's head, trying to keep them back you know, right. from progressing, basically. Or they, they might be afraid if they're going to a different geographical location that it's a, a lack of control. Um, it could be that they're pressurised to give up their job. Be- oh, you know, well, you'd be better off staying at home with the children. You know, there mm. could be that. So again, it's control. Absolutely. It? Yeah. Um, telling you where you can, sabotaging your work responsibility, hiding your car keys. I mean... You know, where yes. do we where do we go here? Um, so, and it can be about just criticism, cr- constantly criticizing what you're doing, your choices. And, and sadly, we're running out of time. Yeah. But I mean, what about help? And what help is out there, Francis? Look, I, and I would say, look, obviously, people need to prepare um, for their own to mind their own situation. You know, protect your information, cri- check your credit report. Prepare for the future. You know, you could start putting some money aside, but just be careful in case that's seen. But look, there's obviously organisations out there. I'm just mentioning this because I think if, if look, we haven't even got into the elderly abuse mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. as well. Maybe something we'll touch on another day. But, you know, say even, you know, the likes of Coon Sayre, um, Women's Aid, Age Action. Um, the HSE actually have a National Safeguarding Office for people, you know, if they're concerned. Um, of course, as a guardie, if, mm. if there's a really, um, if you really feel, oh my God, I need help now. Um, you know, male advice line, there's Men's Aid Ireland. Look, I suppose what I'm saying is there's lots of places out there to help. If what I'm saying, honey, you're thinking, yeah, actually, you know, now actually that I think about mm. that, that's not right. Mm. You know, I, I'm just saying, just of maybe, course, yes. and sometimes it's hard because people's heads are clouded. And, and sometimes, Francis, something that's going on for a long period of time, you don't identify as being no, abuse. No, because or people climatise. Yeah, yeah, they climatise, but yeah. that's not right either. Yeah. Um, but again, 
just be careful because, you know, even from an elderly point of view, and we haven't even got into that. Yeah. You know, there are people that are genuinely caring. Carers care. You know, partners care. It's about caring. If you if it's genuinely about caring, right, yes. then it, it shouldn't be controlling to of that course. extent. And it could be as basic as somebody taking money out of your purse or your wallet. Yeah, or, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah, and, you know, again, I, and let's get into this maybe in another day, but for the elderly, yeah, you know, pin numbers, they're so vulnerable. Yeah. Don't be signing blank checks. I know checks are kind of maybe not as the thing anymore, but just be careful and, trust. you know, you have to trust the people that are looking after you as well, but just be just yeah, be aware. Just, and for the, aware. for the carers, you know, that they're aware and any genuine care will be very, um, I suppose, specific and, you know, very clear about what they're doing and why they're doing and there's your receipt and this is what I did today and that is very clear. Very good, Francis. If people want to contact you and your team, Francis? Yeah, okay, they can ring the office, which is 052 and the website's www.foh.ie or they can email me, foh at foh.ie. All right, Francis, great to see you. Thanks a million, Always. Thanks very much indeed. Francis O'Hanlon there of FOH uh, Financial. We'll take a break. Back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie time right now for our global politics segment and glad to be joined as always by Thomas Conway, polit- politics and economics student and of course from Tipperary as well. Thomas, good morning to good you. Good morning, Frank. We better start uh, with, I suppose, the big news this morning that uh, Rishi Sunak uh, and uh, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, they're meeting in the UK today to sign a new agreement on the Northern Ireland Protocol after months of tedious negotiations there as well. It seems to be positive, Thomas. Yeah, the, the music is certainly positive. It seems at this stage like we've had so many Brexit deals people can get confused by it all but this one really is important and just people will already be aware I suppose but it hinges on the Northern Ireland Protocol so there's going to be a reform to the Northern Ireland Protocol to allow goods to travel to Northern Ireland and designate specific goods which are travelling into the Republic uh, differentiating them from products that are are travelling exclusively to Northern Ireland so there'll be a green lane and a red lane for these for these goes and really I'm just echoing what has already been said what the likes of Tony Connolly of RTE uh, and John Kilrain have been saying it it's complex I think mm. is is the best way to describe it but it does seem like we are on the verge of a deal what about the DUP though I mean that really is uh, you know the business uh, will they go along with this do you think what what it's it's a very difficult one for Sir Geoffrey Donaldson mm. I mean what how how he will approach it I think there is still some Scepticism within the DUP, certainly that's what uh, that's what Ben Lowry of the Belfast Telegraph was saying. I just heard him a little bit earlier on the mm. news. Uh, and there is that that reluctance, the reluctance to back a deal because the DUP, of course, wants Northern Ireland to be treated in the exact same vein as the rest of the United Kingdom. It's 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 a very difficult one to predict. I think it's mm. it's an invidious position that Jeffrey Donaldson and the DUP are in now because we know that the protocol 
while some would speculate that it's damaging to Northern Ireland, there is actually a lot of benefit to mm. it in mm. certain respects. Now, obviously, I'm only commentating from afar here, mm. but there are lots of economic benefits to... Uh, well, it's the best of both worlds in it is, some ways, isn't it? It, it is really? essentially yeah. the best of both worlds. And, it, you know, now Northern Ireland isn't going to transform into a Singapore or a Hong Kong mm. overnight. We're, mm. not, we're not floating that idea. But certainly, I think, if... If Sunak and Ursula von der Leyen uh, line out a deal today, I think Northern Ireland should be well-placed to make it work. And does Boris Johnson's outburst over the weekend, does that concern you at all? Because there is a cohort of the Conservatives, of course, that, you know, would be anti this, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, I, I think it was ridiculously unhelpful. And yeah. I think that's what that's what Manny will think about, the fact that Johnson has intervened like this. Uh, mm. Not something that's often done. Mm. Former Prime Ministers don't usually, former leaders don't usually commentate. But he is representing a certain grouping. Oh, he is, without, without doubt. Yeah. And I mean, Dominic Grieve, the former Attorney General, was on the airwaves this morning as well. Uh, he was outlining that he's not part of that group, but he, he outlined their sentiment very much. Mm. There is still that faction of hardline Brexiteers there mm. uh, that really want a, a hard Brexit. And what we have at the moment, to a certain extent, is is a pretty hard Brexit. This Northern Ireland mm. Protocol deal would soften the scenario somewhat mm. uh, and could be could be quite beneficial. I just hope that they can make it work. And, and that pending legislation in the UK, would that have to be dumped then? Is e- essentially, that's what Sunak wants. Yes. Now, that's okay. the antithesis of what Johnson has been saying. Yeah. But Sunak feels that would be deemed unnecessary should he pass this yeah. deal, should this deal go through. All right, to move on then, the war in Ukraine. Thomas, one year on. Uh, where are we now as far as you're concerned with this? Yeah, I mean, it is. I've been listening to a lot of the reaction over the past few days and a lot of it is focused on the, the incredible fortitude and resilience of the Ukrainian army and, you know, the devastating nature of the Russian invasion. But I, I think what people will be asking is where... What is the trajectory of this war now? Where is it going? And is there an end point in future? The short answer, I think, is no. I was reading a piece by RTE's uh, Washington correspondent, Sean Whelan, last week. He quoted a senior military analyst, a guy called Elliot Cohen. And this guy outlined three three scenarios, some of them more likely on, than the other. The first case involved Ukraine accepting some sort of compromise, uh, which would entail the country losing some of its territory. Now, that, I think is highly unlikely. I can't see that happening. I don't think Vladimir Zelensky would would be accept, uh, would accept that. I don't think the Ukrainian yes. people would accept that. Well, it would that. be against everything they're fighting for. It would be against everything they're fighting yeah. for. And, it, you know, when you think about it, it would be sending the message that a country can just come in unprovoked and take territory off another, which is yes. blatantly wrong. And the second assessment? The second scenario concluded that the war would take on kind of the nature of a... It was described as a hot, frozen conflict, a war which dragged on indefinitely uh, with little in the way of success for either side. Now, that, I think, is more likely, that the forces will grind each other out to a stalemate, Mm. which is probably what is happening right now in the east of Ukraine. So, I mean, were that to continue, the question is how long that will continue or how long uh, Western countries will allow that to continue. Uh, in the east of the country. Mm. And finally, and this this really does provide food for thought, the third scenario is that Ukraine actually wins or, other, or in other words, that Russia loses. Now, that would seem like people will ask, you know, well, is Vladimir Putin going to allow that to happen? You know, could he resort to some... Inc- well, that's the point, isn't it? That what, is what the point. What would he resort to? The, what would he resort to? Mm. You know, and, and will that endanger his place 
in Russian politics, mm. uh, his place at the top of Russian politics. But he has nothing to lose if it gets to a situation that they're going to lose the war. That, I mean, that's that a particularly it? frightening thing, I yeah. think. You know, and and the fact that he has threatened the use of tactical nuclear weapons, I think, um, you know, is a really, really scary prospect. However, however, the Ukrainian army have proven themselves to be so incredibly not just resilient. I mean, people would often laud their their fortitude and their bravery, but their efficiency and their organisation has been just incredible. The way in which they've repulsed or repelled the Russian attacks, uh, the way in which they've gained ground in places in the east of the country has been incredible. So they have shown themselves to be an incredible fighting force. And, you know, the prospect of them actually winning is is not mm. that far off. But, of course, it is what Putin would resort to in that eventuality. But, I mean, they are where they are because of the huge investment in this war from, from the world. Is it 60-something billion from just Europe? Not it's an eye-watering. It's a staggering figure. It's a staggering figure. And the, the US remains, I mean, the main donor. But yes. the EU, in fairness, has, contri- has contributed a fair amount yes. of, of both military but, and but financial is, aid. is there a hold back, Thomas, because they won't give the fighter jets? Uh, I think there is. And, I mean, this goes to the question of lethal weapons weapons and mm. the fact that they don't want to be perceived as escalating the conflict in any way. And it's very interesting really because they are treading that fine line. They're treading that delicate balance. You see that with President Joe Biden. He's very mm. wary of the mm. US becoming embroiled directly in a conflict with Russia. And again, at the heart of this is what Vladimir Putin might be capable of. You know, I, I have it here in my piece. He's a loose cannon now. Mm. He's proven himself Russia is an international pariah. Vladimir Putin is a loose cannon. There is no telling what he could resort to. And I appreciate that might be scary for listeners, but it, it is a reality. And I think Western leaders are very much aware of that. I mean, I think at the start of the war, Emmanuel Macron, you know, made those visits to uh, to Moscow to try and try mm. and negotiate some kind of settlement with Putin. It failed spectacularly. And since then, he has just become more and more wild and unpredictable in his ventures. It's incredible. Will you finally just talk to me about Zelensky? Because he's come a long way from a figure that was often lampooned because of his background as a comedian yeah. and stuff. And look at where he is now. Yeah, I think prior to the war, Zelensky's main main act on the world stage was he was involved in the Donald Trump impeachment, mm. if you if mm. you can remember that. Course, you know, yeah. Trump asked him uh, asked him for favours in return uh, in return for aid and that he was involved in that whole scenario. But he has proven himself to be such a valiant leader. I have to, like, I'm full of admiration for him. Formerly a comic, played the role of president in a television mm. sitcom. Mm. He's now 45 years old. He was voted Time Person of the Year last year. He's a native Russian speaker from the town of Krivy Ri in Ukraine's east. Mm. And look, That's he, actually his first language, isn't it? That's his Russian, first language, yeah. which, is, which is amazing. And I suppose... It is, it's quite sad in a sense because it, it illustrates the fact that prior to this war there was links between Russia and Ukraine and mm. in some cases quite harmonious links. You know, prior to I suppose the 2014 invasion of Crimea, mm. uh, you know, Ukraine of course was, is and was and always has been its own country. Uh, since the breakup of the Soviet mm. Union, but quite harmonious relations there. Plenty of Russian speakers. Right. So you have great admiration for him, Thomas. Oh, I have great admiration. Right. I think there he's... are questions around his finances, though. Well, there are, yeah, so. and there are questions. And I mean, this is one of the main sources of reluctance when it comes to admitting Ukraine into the EU. It does have corruption mm. problems. Now, mm. I think I think Zelensky is doing his best to rid the country of those problems. He knows the importance of it. So look, it's it's it doesn't have a squeaky clean reputation. Mm. Ukraine, but I think it is doing yeah. its utmost. But do you think, before we move on, do you think the West is going to be 
really tested over the next months? I think these next few months will be critical. And I think the West has huge decisions to make in respect of the supply of of fighter jets and lethal weapons and the continuing military and financial aid which it gives mm. to Ukraine because Ukraine is dependent on it. And I think, you know, so far we, we've seen kind of uh, certain leaders a uh, little bit, you know, quivering in relation to what they will supply the German Leopard tanks, for instance. Mm. They eventually decided to give them. In order to maintain that steady supply, Ukraine is going to need constant support. And if, if it wants to prevail in this conflict, it's going to need constant support. And I think that mm. will test Western nations. And the conversation during the week about us uh, sending uh, Irish troops out there to train um, uh, some some aspects of, of the Ukrainian army as well. A lot of conversation about that because we're wondering about neutrality, I suppose. Absolutely. Thomas, and yeah. I mean, is neutrality is neutrality defunct at this stage? Is it is it a... You know, I mean, is it something that belongs to past eras? That mm. that is the question well, here. Sixty percent of the Irish people, in 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 all the latest polls, want to hang on to it for dear life. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, it's a difficult decision for the government, and I think they probably will they probably will hang on to it in the near future. But certainly, it's a question mm. that a lot of the politicians and the public will be asking themselves. Yes. Uh, w- one of the phrases I love: um, "What about ethical or moral neutrality?" Yeah. Well, I mean, you can put any spin that you want, but you know, neutrality is neutrality. Yeah. Um, nearly one million asylum seekers arriving in Europe in 2022, you were telling us. Yeah, and I suppose this comes off the back of that devastating shipwreck yesterday yeah. in Italy. For over 59 migrants presumed dead, possibly up to as far as 100. Uh, another one of these appallingly tragic scenarios. I just read last week a survey showing, yeah, nearly one million asylum seekers arrived in Europe in 2022. That's the highest figure since 2016 at the height of the migration prices. It's also about 50% higher than last year, 2021. Now, admittedly, there were other factors, COVID-19 and that, which would have affected that figure. But it just goes to show that this problem has not gone away. It's a highly, it's a politically Mm. sensitive issue. Uh, You know, we have migrants flooding across the Mediterranean. The reason, I suppose is the conflict and instability across yes. our North Africa and the Middle East, which has to be a serious source of concern for a lot of Western leaders. We can't forget that a lot of parties, political parties across the European continent, you think Marine Le, Marine Le Pen in France. This is right-wing stuff. Right-wing, yeah. right-wing yeah. stuff. They're yeah. alternative for Deutschland. In, in Germany, we have parties in the Netherlands. We have parties all over the place. Yeah. Well, this is what drove Brexit as well. It's what it? effectively drove Brexit. Yeah. I mean, if we think back to the debate around that, it was... It was in part inspired by by the migration flows coming mm. across, coming into Dover, the numbers of migrants flowing in there. And, you know, from a European perspective, I mean, we have to, I think, look at this and look at the sources of this migration because it is that instability in regions in North Africa and the Middle East. You think of countries like Mali, like Niger, like, like Chad. They are now a hotbed for radical jihadist terrorism. You have individuals fleeing persecution, fleeing natural disasters such as famine. Uh, You have terrorist groups such as Boko Haram and Islamic State operating there, notorious for their brutality. And they leave many natives with no choice but to up sticks and flee. My God, and of course people smuggling as well is a huge issue. Yeah, and and I wanted to get to this because there there is an incredible book that was published last year by... A journalist, she might be known to somebody, she's an Irish Times journalist, uh, Sally Hayden. It's entitled My Fourth Time We Drowned. And it takes a look 
at the people smuggling networks which now exist in North Africa in the Middle East. The number of migrants or asylum seekers that are being held in detention centres, it is absolutely staggering. Now she she points the finger at the UNHCR which is the United yeah. Nations Refugee Agency uh, and lays a fair bit of blame, quite a scathing review or assessment of their role in this crisis. I'll let people read the book before they make up their minds in it but certainly I think it has to be looked at. I mean the Global South, when people think of the Global South, they think of large volumes of people moving northwards, moving up towards the north, and that is effectively what's happening. But I think there has to be a real effort to address the problems that is that are fermenting and, and precipitating these waves of migrant flows up towards the northern parts of uh, parts of Europe. It's, parts it's of going Europe. to be an interesting few years ahead. Sadly, we're running out of time, Thomas, but I do want you to just uh, give us stuff to watch out for. Um, I, I'm intrigued. Hunger in North Korea, but of course this wouldn't be the first time that that's No, been it's certainly not the first time. You know, it's, it's the world's most isolated and it's the world's most unusual state, I suppose, but North Korea is not immune to large-scale humanitarian problems. There was a famine in the 1990s which may have killed up to 3 million people we don't know exactly uh, we don't know exactly the figures for obvious reasons but at the moment North Korea is in the midst of a major food crisis yet again and I think this poses questions of of other nations as well in terms of their approach their international stance in North Korea do they provide aid do they provide assistance to a country which so bla- bla- flagrantly violates mm. uh, nuclear treaties. And, and, and because he's so careless about his own people, would he accept it? And, and that is the thing. And where would the aid go? Where yeah. would the money go? So, and who'd manage it and who would supervise it? And you know, Yeah, so be. there are all sorts of questions there. I think at the moment, you know, China's response, China will, will certainly, it seems to have an ally in China, but definitely for the people of North Korea, oh. it's a disastrous scenario. Just about out of time, but can you briefly tell us... Uh, about the challenger uh, to Trump at the moment. So yeah, I'm Nikki not that Haley. familiar with. Yeah. yeah, Nikki Haley has thrown her, her hat in the ring. She's the former UN ambassador. She was a former also a former governor of South Carolina, but she has thrown her hat in the wing. Now her hat in the ring. By all accounts, Fran, a lightweight candidate, I think. She is not likely to realistically challenge Trump. That will fall to the lights of Ron DeSantis. Yes. Possibly Vice President Mike Pence and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, if they opt to run and there are increasing signs that they may be up to uh, to have a go to have a shot at the presidency. But where Nikki Haley might come into the picture, I think is as a potential running mate for Uh, one of the major candidates. Now, whether she will want that, I've heard it described vice president as a a, a nothing job. But I mean, if it's the best that's uh, available to you, then it makes sense to go for it. So I think that's where we might see her play a role in the next few years in US politics. Right, so certainly a name to keep in mind, uh, Nikki Haley. Thomas, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. News and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. 1800 Now, historical... Entertainer Paddy Cullivan brings you the incredible story of the mysterious death of Theobald Wolf Tone, the founding father of Irish Republicanism, to the Nina Arts Centre this coming Friday. And I'm glad to say that Paddy joins me now. Paddy, good morning to you. Good morning. And really good to talk to you today. Theobald Wolf Tone, I mean, a complex figure or what, Paddy? 
Well, yes. I mean, a, a, a middle-class Protestant who was born in 1763, studies as a barrister, goes to Trinity College, and yet becomes head of the Catholic Association fighting for Catholic emancipation 50 years before Daniel O'Connell. And then later on, goes to Belfast, joins his best friend Thomas Russell, forms the United Irishman, um, who are banned in 1795. So he moves to America, George Washington to try and get a revolution started in Ireland. No dice there, so heads back to France. And in France, Napoleon meets them, and Tone organizes four invasions of Ireland, one of which gets through uh, with General Humbert in Mayo in 1798. It's a remarkable story. He's captured on the fourth mission at Tory Island and then brought to Dublin, condemned to death, uh, and supposedly tries to commit suicide in prison. My show is about that moment where I don't believe he did so. And I, I, I want to go very deeply into that. Uh, and, in and, and before we get to that, just to speak about his father. I mean, his father, Peter Tone, the coachmaker, all find him very well. But it is widely believed that he was the son of Theobald Wolfe, in fact. Well, it, it's actually not Theobald Wolfe. I, I have a suspicion it was Arthur Wolfe. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a cousin of Theobald's. This is weird now. The, the tones were, there's quite a bit of comedy in the show, despite the seriousness of the title. Uh, the Tones lived out in Plain, and their their landlords were the Wolves. So it's weird that Tone is named after Theobald Wolf, who is the landlord. Mm. Uh, I compare it to now, where possibly to, to secure tenure in this country, we might have to start naming our firstborn after our landlord. But <laughs> and to use another quote of Tones, the men have no property as anyone under 40 years of age these days. But, mm. but uh, no, it's quite strange. There's a possibility Arthur Wolf was the father, because even though he became later Chief Justice Kilwarden of Ireland, uh, he tried to save Wolfstone's life twice uh, um, on the day he was to be executed. So it seems there was more of an emotional attachment than we think. Isn't it incredible? So talk to me then about his death, because as you said, so much mystery around this. There is. Um, on the morning he's to be executed, Monday the 12th of November, uh, 1798, uh, there's a, there's a kind of a scene going on down in the forecourts where this Lord Kilwarden, who I believe to be his father, John Philpott Curran is Tone's lawyer, and he's trying to get Tone released so he can have a proper trial, not a court-martial, which was actually illegal at the time. Lord Kilwarden agrees, and they send a messenger up to collect Tone from the prison. Um, William Sandys, who I believe had a hand in Tone's death, goes, no, 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 I don't take orders from you. Kilwarden gets enraged, sends a guy up the second time to say, look, not only do you give me Tone, but I'm having his all arrested for denying me. And that's when they say, ah, no, at 4 a.m. last night, he tried to kill himself uh, with a razor left in the cell by his brother. He lasts for eight days after that and supposedly dies on the 19th of November as the story is circulated all over the world and in the papers. But I think something much more nefarious happened. And what do you think happened? Well, what I do in this show is, you know, using about 300 visuals, I even have a few mm. songs in it, I take you through everything that happened day by day and what the newspapers were printing. And, you know, sorry to my friends in the media, but um, the news was so fake mm. back then that it could almost be a newspaper from today. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, you old cynic, you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But, I mean, they start printing stuff like, you know, um, you know, Tone found the, uh, the, the razor in the cell left by his brother. It's a high-security prison. I don't know how the, the brother left it there. He was executed after the Humbert invasion six weeks before, Matthew Tone. But also... It doesn't make any sense because the razor has never shown up. Uh, these guys who I believe killed Tone, they were avid collectors of memorabilia. A lot of Tone stuff was kept and sold later on, 
even one of his speeches went for 42 grand recently in White's auction house. So where's the razor? It's never showed up, just like Michael Collins' uh, rifle uh, at Bale and Law. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Do you think there's a possibility he was murdered? I, I Absolutely. That's why I called the show after that. And I think historians after that tried to murder him for a second time. And I, in the second part of the show, I go is, into the, the all the stuff historians have ignored. They've just believed the suicide story from the start. It's very like the Jeffrey Epstein case, not mm. to compare Tone as a person to Epstein. Tone mm. was a brilliant person and very funny and very erudite. Even his last words don't ring true. Uh, they sound Shakespearean. Tone, Tone wrote and talked the way we talk today. So he says, I fear I am but a bad anatomist and all these things. It's like mm. he's addressing Yorick mm. in a Shakespearean play. It, it doesn't ring true. There's two men involved, I think. Benjamin Lentain, his surgeon who was French, and William Sandys, his jailer. I think these guys put it all together. Um, was he religious? I mean, you know, obviously bringing uh, religious factions together was a big part of his his thing. But, I mean, was he religious himself, Paddy? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't come across in his writing. Yeah. I think Tom was just a very modern person. Uh, but he knew that religion was important to people. So when he talks about uniting Protestant Catholic in the centre, it's a magnificent message that hasn't been bettered. In fact, I would argue that Daniel O'Connell reduced that message to just Catholic rights and forgot about the other people that lived in this mm, country. Mm. And, you know, the whole point of Tone is that he wants to bring all the communities together to live equally. Remember, Catholics were under the penal laws then, but so were Presbyterians, and that's why they joined in the 1798 rebellion in such numbers. But the amazing thing about Tone is he's one of 12 Protestant leaders of the United Irishmen, and there were three Catholics and three Presbyterians. It was the Protestants and the middle class and the upper class themselves that were starting this enlightened Republican revolution. And I think that's a lesson that not only needs to be learned down south, but especially up north, where Protestants don't know this history. It's very interesting. I was reading about him over the weekend. Um, he, he got married to Matilda. She was very young, wasn't she? She was very young, but everybody was very young then. Remember, uh, Tone would have gone to his Trinity College at 15 years of age and graduated two years later with an oral exam in front of 12 people. Um, Matilda was an amazing woman I go into her story as well very beautiful woman uh, who went after Tone died she, she moved to, she stayed in France raised her son William uh, to become a soldier in the French army he became the little wolf and then later on in 1826 they published all of Tone's writings that's why we have Tone today because his wife made sure that he, he was published you know but they had a funny relationship because her name was Martha. Mm. But Tone had fancied a woman called Matilda. <laughs> and, he, and he said to Martha, you know, would you mind calling yourself Matilda? And she goes, well, for how long? And he goes, the rest of your life. So they, they were very deeply and very much in love. The last letters between Tone and Matilda are just unbelievably romantic. So it's a great tale of romance. It's a great tale of humour. It's a great tale, of, but also a savage tale of, of the, the savagery of that time and 1798 and what the British were doing and the government of Ireland were doing. We hold him in great uh, esteem because, of course, Bodenstone every year is a mecca for people, isn't it? It is. I mean, lots of people go there. Sinn Féin go there, Sinn Féin go there. But Tone belongs to everybody. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the most incredible thing about Tone as well is the religious message is not lost. We're told often that Porrick Pierce was a very Catholic person, but even his father was a Unitarian Protestant minister from England, or Protestant from England. And when he went to Bodenstown, he said about Bodenstown, we've come to the holiest place in Ireland, holier to us, even then where Patrick sleeps in down. And, and and that tells you how high he was held in esteem. You know what I mean? He was such a lucid guy, very hilarious. I mean, he would get very drunk and write in his diary, and, and you can actually, it just comes off the pages. He even tells us how to not deal with each other on social media. 
He says, we broke up rather ill-disposed to each other. Uh, I'm more and more convinced of the futility of arguing over wine. <laughs> so this, this guy was great. You know, I mean, and yes. I think what I'm trying to do is not only talk about the murder, that's the focal point of the mm. show, but bring him back into people's lives because we haven't been taught enough about Wolf Tone and what an interesting guy he was. When you Google Wolf Tone, you'll generally get the Wolf Tone. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, with all the controversy that brings, I'm not a huge fan myself, so I, I, I acknowledge their right to, to, mm. to the Rebel songs and everything. Yeah. But I would always say, more Wolf Tone, less Wolf Tone. Very good. Um, the only song I'm aware of is, in fact, uh, the Wolf Tones recorded in, in Bodenstown Churchyard, There Is a Green Grave. Is there, is there a lot of uh, uh, music? There's quite a bit of music. I, I have a song in the show called In That Moment They Were Free. I also have a song dedicated to Irish historians called the Both Sides Song. Well, these are your own songs, Paddy. These aren't? are my own yeah, songs. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm partial to doing a verse of the Shanban books as well. Oh, yes. But that's what Bowdenstown Churchyard is an incredible song. It was written by Thomas Davis, who also wrote The West, The Wake. Yes. And, um, and he, be he became a great friend of Tone's widow in the 1840s. And in fact, he wrote to her a lot. And he was the first man to put a gravestone in Bowdenstown because, remember, Tone was buried with an, in an unmarked grave. And he put the gravestone there, but the Irish treating everything like a holy relic, started coming down and picking bits off it and uh, to have a little bit of stone for themselves. So that's why they had to build an iron cage around it. So it, it, it's a fascinating story alone that, that what happens to Tone afterwards, you know, in terms of statuary, gravestones and all the rest of it. But the music of that time is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, where violence is concerned, I mean, I was looking at one plaque that's up with it. He says our independence must be had at all hazards. If the men of property will not support us, they must fall. We can't support ourselves by the aid that numerous and respectable class of the community, the men of no property, as you, you, you alluded to earlier on. But, you know, that remark, they must fall. Was he prepared for violence? He was. He was, but as he said at his trial, I was prepared for fair and open war. He wanted to land with the French army and have open, proper battles where, you know, um, uh, you know, people could be beaten fair and square. That's why he landed in Mantry Bay, or almost landed in 1796 yeah. with yeah. 15,000 troops. The way the government conducted the war was horrendous. Um, and yet all historians seem to be obsessed with is School of Bogue and Wexford Bridge, mm. which are two massacres of about 250 people. But I put a pie chart in the show, and I show exactly the number, uh, the percentage of massacres done by the rebels. It was 1%. 99% of all massacres at that time were done by the government and the Red Coast of Ireland, many of whom were Catholic, by the way, uh, against Protestants. And uh, basically, they, they killed 25,000 people after they laid down their arms in this country. Wow. And they didn't even have arms. They had pikes. So, I mean, this... I mean, I'm trying to reverse that wrong as well. That's why I have a song called The Both Sides Song, where, you know, you can't just match these people and say that Tom was responsible for violence and all the rest of it. The violence inflicted in Ireland in 1797 alone, with pitch-capping and torturing and half-hanging and all these desperate things that happened, that was the responsibility of the Irish government of the day, the Protestant tendency. So... I, I go into that in, in, in detail, yeah. and, and it works. And, and, and really, it was the epitome of, like, England's difficulty is Ireland's opportunity. They, they, if my history serves me correct, they, they were at war with France at the time, weren't they? Well, I mean, the American Revolution had happened in, you know, 1782, 1789, the French Revolution. And from that moment, Britain declared war on France. And, I mean, that war did not end for 21 years, bar one break in 1803. So, you know... France decided to side a little bit with Ireland. Napoleon's mistake was going to Egypt mm. uh, instead of coming to Ireland. If he had, 
I mean, can you imagine it now? I mean, imagine, you know, if the French had invaded Ireland in 1798 properly, mm. we'd have a, be- a beautiful bistro in every town <laughs> with red checkerboard tablecloths and good wine that that awful stuff we got in the 80s. And proper baguettes. Um, yeah, and, and like, that's what we would have. Instead, we'd just have Supermax. <laughs> Sorry. I can see there's a great old element of humour in the show as well, Paddy. I, w- <laughs> I, I would imagine indeed. All right, tickets are available. Um, 0673440 if you want to uh, make a call there. And it's uh, ninaarts.com. You can book online there as well. Is there anything you want to add to that, Paddy, by way of tickets? Absolutely, because I'm doing this show and the Murder Michael Collins all over the country. So if you go to my website, paddycullivan.com, you'll find all ticket links to all my shows. Uh, so if you missed the one in Lena, but I absolutely love playing Lena. It's a fantastic spot, and I love Rocky's Bar afterwards. <laughs> great music in there too. So honestly, you know, do yourself a favor. It's an incredibly interesting night. Um, it's an incredibly interesting show, and you learn stuff you've never known before. You know, don't watch the late late. Don't watch Netflix. Come to see my show this Friday in Lena. Absolutely. Speaking of the late late, do you miss it? Yeah, of course. The band. You were. How many years were you involved with the house band there? I was there for 10 years. Why are you 10 years, Mike? 10 God. years. I'm from 2009 to 2019, wow. and I left just before COVID hit. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very good predictor of things. Because <laughs> remember, this, this show is like the late, late. You know, it starts off well, then it goes on way too long, and you're depressed <laughs> out of your mind by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paddy, it's a real treat to have you on a Monday. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so good, much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That's uh, Paddy Cullivan there. And the murder of uh, Wolf Tone at the lovely Nina Arts Centre this coming Friday. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie I'm not sure if you're across that story that broke uh, over the weekend, but I found it very interesting indeed. Um, it was from a guy called Professor Martin Cormican, and he was a former uh, Neffet member. And he has a very interesting things uh, to say. I mean, he really delivered the strongest criticism yet from inside of Neffet, making points like it depended too much on fear and limited basic freedoms for far too long. So some of what he's saying is pretty explosive stuff indeed. He went on to say that Ireland focused too much on short-term metrics, such as case numbers and mortality, and failed to take adequate account of collateral damage to health and well-being, especially in those who were already vulnerable or disadvantaged. And I think he's probably right because we're seeing some of the fallout uh, from that uh, now. Um, Professor Cormican uh, goes on to say we, we gave too high a priority to maintaining and restoring international uh, travel and we depended too much on fear to influence uh, behaviour. He also said the maxim that we should follow the science was both misleading and amoral. Now I find that Extremely interesting indeed. Now, what he says that's rather controversial, though, is that um, he would have opted for a mandatory vaccination than continuing to require vaccination for international travel. And uh, so I'm sure that's... I'm I'm sure a lot of people out there would disagree 
uh, with that, that notion of making vaccination um, mandatory indeed. But some of what he has to say there is very interesting. I'd love to know your, your opinion uh, on that because we were all throwing around that phrase that we must follow the science. But according to the professor, he's saying it was both misleading and amoral to put that out there. 1800-938-007. Now, we do have a winner of our 100 euro voucher in association with our friends at Aramont uh, Furniture in Nina. And they're celebrating their brand new range of garden furniture. The 100 euro voucher for today goes to uh, Louise Meany. Uh, from Kincora Terrace in Thurles. Well done to you, Louise, and we'll have a €100 Euro voucher to give away every single day uh, this week. Now, we spoke to a few of our listeners during last week about their experiences of giving up smoking, and uh, Juliana joins me now. Juliana, good morning to you. Good morning, friends. And really good to you today. Tell, uh, good to talk to you today. Tell me your story. You gave up uh, smoking how long ago, uh, Juliana? Um, in... In February, actually, in 2008, I gave them up. Right. Yeah. And um, how did I, you manage to do that? Um, well, I became very aware of what they were, you know, what they were doing. Mm. My dependency on them. I was smoking nearly 40 a day. Wow. And um, I wouldn't go near the house uh, unless I had a sealed uh, packet of 20 in the house overnight. I'd have a complete meltdown if I didn't have 20 in the house. And what, what age I, did you start smoking, Juliana? Uh, I was about 13 or 14. There was um, five or six of us used to go and come to school together. Mm. And um, one by one, we started smoking. And we would pull our few bob or a few pennies and we could buy cigarettes singly. You know, we could buy three or four, whatever we wanted. And um, we were smoking, and Noreen, my friend, said to me one day, you're not smoking right at all. So I said, what do you mean? So she said, you have to inhale the cigarette, you know? So she taught me how to inhale. It nearly choked me, but she taught me how to do it. Where some people, you see, don't inhale cigarettes, they, they would be, I suppose, affected in a different way. To the way I am now, but and we'll talk about that in a moment. But but were you hooked then very quickly, Juliana? I was, yeah, I was, I was. I was terrified at home because I had five brothers. I was an only girl, and um, I knew my dad in particular would go mental if he knew I was at cigarettes. You mm. know, uh, so I would have been very careful at that time. You know. Uh, not to allow them at home to know, but um, I I did feel um, I needed I needed to ask somebody if they had a packet of cigarettes. I would ask for a cigarette. Um, it's incredible. So you were up to about forty uh, a day. You gave up in two thousand and eight, but you're still paying a price, Juliana, aren't you? Well, the strange thing about it, Fran, and this is the reason I I contacted the program last week. I was leading what I deemed to be a perfectly normal life. I'm coming up to 70 now, and I was very active doing my garden, out walking. I have two big Rottweilers, out walking with my dogs. Everything mm. was perfect, I thought. And about three or four months ago, I got something like uh, a flu, and it, I, it developed into a horrible, horrible cough. The result being, I, I went to the doctor and got antibiotics, but he suggested a 
scan and x-ray had that done and it showed I have COPD. I have extremely bad damage done. Mm. I have a disease in my lungs and directly as a result of smoking. And I said, how is it? 15 years has gone by. And they just said to me, it more or less lay dormant. I didn't know something like that could happen. But it did. Yeah, because happened. the impression that we're always given is that if you if you kick the habit, I mean, pretty much immediately you'll see your health improving uh, That's the greatly. impression I had. Yeah. And that's what made me feel so proud of myself that I had done this and it was not easy, but I did it. And I just said to myself, if you really love yourself, Juliana, you are going to stop poisoning yourself. You are going to stop this filthy habit. Because it was becoming antisocial, you know, at that of time. Of course, yeah. So I did stop it. And I was very proud. And I, I felt brilliant. I felt, you know, this is a new lease of life I have now. But no, that isn't true at all. And I have an appointment now. I have the letter here in front of me. I have an appointment now uh, with the respiratory consultant in Tipperary there in, in Clonmel. And I don't know what they're going to be able to do for me, but I'm on a um, new medication now and I'm on an inhaler as well. And, you know... Is there is there a possibility, though, Juliana, that you were predisposed to this anyway and that, you know, while the cigarettes didn't help, but you, you, you might have ended up with COPD anyway? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Did, did anybody in your family honest. have it, for instance? No. No. Okay. No. Right. No. no. None of my um, none of my family. Uh, my dad smoked, but very little. He smoked roll your own kind of cigarettes, but very little. Mm. But he never had a cough or anything like that. But um, no, I have four kids. One of them, uh, the second fella, he smoked, but uh, he's a he's a musician like yourself, you know. But he he burns more than he smokes, like just sitting there in the ashtray. Yes. But, um, so he's not, uh, not no. a serious smoker. But isn't it interesting, no. before you just, like in, in the immediate aftermath of giving up, did you feel better in yourself? Did you feel... I did. Did you? Okay. I did. But I think psychologically, I had done such an amazing thing. I knew myself that what I had done was amazing because many, many people had said to me in past, it's harder to give up cigarettes than it is to give up cocaine. Oh, I've yeah. heard that yeah. many times. Yeah. And I felt really proud, you know. I, I felt really good about myself. And for this to hit me as it did a couple of months ago, it came as a complete and utter shock to me that something like that could lay dormant, which it did in my case. That's what they told me. It, it can lie dormant. Because they can tell you from the x-rays they do and um, the amount of damage that's there. They showed me the x-ray. I could see the shadowing myself in the x-ray. So your lungs are scarred in some way from the Very smoking, so, Julia. Yeah. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I have a disease of the, of the lungs now. And it came directly. They said to me, you know, when you inhale the cigarette, you're, you're bringing that poison right down into your body. So... Yeah, I My did God. like that's a real big favour, didn't I? And tell me how it's affecting you now then. I mean, are you on medication for this? Are you on oxygen? I uh, yeah. Not oxygen, but I'm on an inhaler and I'm on um, 
I'm on uh, medication. I couldn't tell you the name of it right. now. I'm not good on medication. But, oh, no problem. But um, for the rest of your life then, Juliana, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Walking a distance now is out of the question to me. Um, I cannot do the garden anymore. I know that. I'm just not able. I wouldn't be able to cut the grass now with the mower or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, doing anything strenuous of any description, I can't do. And I'm did you, did you enjoy gardening and all of that? You did? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I couldn't. I was always out with the dog. Couldn't possibly now walk the dog. I couldn't. I couldn't possibly walk the dog. Um, so, so I Juliana, what? Taking them one at a time. What do you have to say to people then who might be trying to kick the habit, or you know, what about people who haven't started yet, but they might be thinking yeah. of it foolishly? What What would you say to people? I would say, for your life, don't attempt it. If you love yourself, please, please, please do not put that poison into your system. Because it's a self-inflicted thing you're doing. Don't kill yourself. That's what you're doing. You're killing yourself. I actually wrote something. Um, Do you remember the time of the smoking ban? Yes, yes. Can I read it for you? Yes, of course you can. Yeah, It's called A Smoker's Confession, Mm -hmm. if you don't mind me reading it for you. No, not at all, Juliana. It says... The smoking ban has hit me hard. My nerves, they are on edge. There is no place that I can go to stop puffing is my pledge. That is easier said than done, as all smokers will agree. Withdrawal symptoms will set in. Now that's ahead for me. I start to shiver, shake and sob for the habit I perfected. Forget about my heart and lungs. Already they are infected. I cough and and squeeze with every puff, but yet I still persist. Light up another coffin nail, my name is on the list. I like to smoke, oh what a joke, to hear all puffers say, come on, get real, I do appeal, is that all you've got to say? Addiction to a smelly weed that costs a pretty penny, where will we go outside the door in rain and sleet and showers? We'll make our stands with butt in hand, hidden under our brollies, while our friends inside, they laugh and chide, and they call us a bunch of wallies. <laughs> That's very powerful. That's very powerful. Well done, you. Very powerful indeed. <laughs> Juliana, so we... I love writing songs and things, and then I wrote that at the time, you know, of yeah. the um, of smoking ban. Yeah. But uh, I, would, I would appeal to anybody, and if you've got younger children, like mine are grown up now, but if you've got younger children and you know that yes. they are beginning to dabble with the cigarette. And just I finally, just finally, Juliana, I mean, Michal Martin got into, he got a lot of flack at the time of introducing that. Um, what do you think about that introduction? Because we were one of the first countries to do that. Yeah, I think it was wonderful. Do you? Yeah. I think it was wonderful. And we were a great example to the world, you know, because so many people followed us afterwards, you know, because we were doing wrong even going into restaurants and things, we were doing wrong by passive smoking. You know, we're killing the people beside us as well as ourselves, you know. But, and ignorance has an awful lot to do with the reason people get involved, you know, in things like smoking. And, you know, I'm not in agreement with the vaping. People say it's not dangerous, but we don't know enough about it yet, you know. Yeah. But, um, no, what I was going to just say to you, friends, if you have teenage kids now or younger and they are beginning to get the, the urge, you know, smoke. Mm. 
I would definitely take them somewhere to see a professional of some, then there must be somebody you can go to, to, to show the child this is what's going to happen to you if you, if you do start smoking. But Juliana, because there's never been as much education as there is. And seemed, I was reading a stat a couple of years ago that young girls mm. now, um, you know, are very inclined to smoke, for example, mm. you know. Mm. So mm. I don't know whether it's that's a weight issue or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's peer pressure. I did it because all my friends were doing it and I didn't want to be different. Yes. But the, 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 the secret is, you see, to be different is to be unique. And yeah. Yeah. we are all unique. Each and every one of us are unique. And we shouldn't be followers. We should stand on course, our own ground but you, but you and see, see who teenagers, we are. Teenagers, they want to fit in with the tribe and they'll wear whatever is necessary or they'll say yeah, whatever, or they'll yeah. smoke or they'll do do whatever is yeah. necessary. But that's your advice yeah. and we don't do it. It's as simple as Absolutely that, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. don't do it. Don't do it. Do, if you're hearing this today, please, if you love yourself, please don't do it. All right. Because... You'll get to where I am now at 70 and I can see a huge change in my life in the last three to four months. I can see mm. big, big changes. And this is a time where you know. should be enjoying your life and, you know, enjoying retirement yeah. and all of that. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Juliana, you yeah. look after yourself and we'll check in with you to know how you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on with me. Thank you. You're very welcome, Thank friend. you. You're very welcome. Bye, bye-bye, Juliana. Bye-bye. bye-bye. That's uh, Juliana. Speaking to us today, 1800-938-007, the text and WhatsApp, uh, 083-311-3311. Patrick is of the opinion that COPD was not caused by smoking. Uh, He goes on to say, my mum died of COPD and never smoked. Uh, It was caused by mm, something that I can't read now. You'll forgive me on that, Patrick. But uh, thank you indeed for for getting on to us on that. Uh, Somebody else saying, I was told... Uh, by my friend that I wasn't smoking properly, so she demonstrated how to inhale. It was my third cigarette. Best lesson I ever learned. I got violently sick, uh, but did go on to marry a smoker. So passive smoked for over 45 years. Thank God my lungs are okay, but would be susceptible to lung infections, as one of our listeners. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, uh, quite a few people on to us responding to uh, that news that broke over the weekend from Professor Martin Cormican. And uh, he was a former member of Neffet and rather uh, scathing indeed about some aspects of uh, what was imposed upon us. And uh, particularly that whole maxim of uh, follow the science, he said that was both misleading and amoral. Now, we got a response to it, so what we'll do is we will return to that on the programme tomorrow. Also, uh, Father Jim Purcell in Thurles was on to me just to, to remind you about a great concert. It's called the Hallelujah uh, concert featuring Father Ray Kelly and it's happening at the Church of St. Joseph and Bridget Bourne Nave in Thurles on Friday, March 24th. 
and proceeds from that to the Cathedral re-roofing project and uh, the donation ticket there is uh, 25 euro and the special guest on the night at the Eternus Parish Youth Choirs so it's going to be a gorgeous night now I would imagine tickets will go pretty fast uh, for this so um, if you want to get your skates on you uh, I know they'll be available indeed from the parish office there and other sources around the town as well alright then it is time to uh, feature Fergal O'Keefe uh, of Travel Tales with Fergal good morning to you Fergal good morning great to see you and great to see you as well you are going to whisk us away to uh, skiing in Switzerland yeah and you know what I was just getting in the car to come here now and I'm if you can hear my voice I'm still shivering because I reckon it's colder here today than it was in Switzerland. I think we've snow coming or something because I'm shivering. This is the skiing season, is it not? It is. So, I mean, the skiing season kind of starts just before Christmas, usually kind of uh, just before Christmas, Mm. as well as to get the Christmas market. And then the biggest month traditionally for, say, for Irish people going abroad, quite up. I suppose the midterms is one, but also in January. So, January is probably usually the biggest month. But this year was a little bit um, unusual. And you can imagine people who work in the ski industry around Europe, there was very little snow. And actually the place I went to, before I went there, I'd never heard of it, but it was all over the news actually in January because um, the, the World Ski Championships were going to be there in Aldel Boden in Switzerland and there was very little snow and it was the same throughout Europe. So, mm. you know, but you know, but it is cyclical. I know the global warming is a factor, but it changes because when I was there a couple of weeks ago, there was amazing snow and... You know, the season, I suppose, usually goes into March. And I would actually say to people, you know, even now, if if you haven't booked anything, that it's a lovely time to go. My my favourite time, actually, is is the March. And and this is a very special place for you, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I actually actually learned. Did you? I kind of forgotten that, actually. I learned to ski in in Verbi in Switzerland and... I with the gear I was wearing, so that was like over twenty years ago or longer, and the gear I was wearing in Aldel Boden was all the gear that I, I I got. I bought that gear in Verbi in Switzerland right. many years ago. And actually my ski instructor at the time I mean, I was 30, like, when I learned to ski, but my ski instructor, she was, like, a real posh English girl and she couldn't get her head around this concept that I had. She kept going, don't worry, it's going to come back to you. And I kept going, there's nothing to come back to. And and, and the week before, she'd been teaching uh, Clive Woodward of the, the World yeah, Cup, won the yeah. World Cup coach. She'd been teaching him to snowboard the week before. And she kept saying to me, like, imagine you're holding a tray of uh, Dom Perignon and I'm going, you've got the wrong audience here, you know? But it, it is it's, amazing. It's all about balance, is it? Yeah, it's it's balance. And, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, if you can learn to ski, like like my kids, like, say, my youngest, Finn, like he learned when he was four, and like you know, you just pick it up immediately. So the younger, if you oh, if you can, so. well, there's learn no fear, right? exactly, and your low center of gravity, oh, yeah, and yeah. and the big thing is fear because you're you're going down a mountain, and you know you should lean forward. And even I was doing that when I was skiing. I, I noticed a few towards the end of the day when I was getting tired, you start leaning back. Yes, and really you should be leaning forward into the mountain. Things of like that. We we the perception that I always had of skiing is that it's expensive. You know, it's so uh, it, it, it is you know. 
compared to not it isn't really more expensive than a sun holiday but it's the same as everything you can do it how you, like just say well if I'm doing it you know I'll book my own accommodation and my own flights or, or actually you know like true um, people like Crystal Ski and Top Flight you can get great deals you know mm. like this year there was great deals because the sn- there was very little snow at the start uh-huh, of the season right. so even now I'd say if you looked or pe- people like Crystal Ski and Top Flight you'd get great deals but you can do it however you wanted but you know, say for people with families, and this place at Delbodum where I was, I would say is a perfect place for families, is um, it's the best skiing holiday. I mean, everyone says, it. you know, when your kids get a little bit older, when they're late teens or mm. early 20s, it's the one holiday. If you say to your kids, I'm going skiing, they'll join you. Right. Whereas if you say, I'm going to Lanzarote, then no, I'm going with my mates. <laughs> but skiing is yeah. the one trip where, where the family will stay together. Very good indeed. So Adelboden, that's that's a sort of a family place then, is it? Very much. Yeah. Like real laid back. You know, I would call it like very, very traditional. And that's what made me, you know, realise when I was there, like, what, why is Switzerland so special? I mean, I, I have a mate who lives in New York and, and last week was like going to Switzerland to go skiing, you know, and you're going, going all the way over there. But, you know, it's that cliched view, you know, when you think of mm. like the wooden, uh, you know, the chalets and the wooden houses mm. and all the restaurants are all wooden inside with the smell of cheese in there and the, the chocolate and the hot chocolate. And, oh, it's, very, and it's also very laid back. So like this place, Alida Bodemont, was so special is that it was very laid back, very on ski resorty. So, you know, you talk, like there's still like the butchers and the local shops and everyone, you know, people will salute you and talk to you and they're really nice. Like like one of the people that I was with, we came through trains and the, the conductor gave them like a, a voucher for free coffees just to enjoy their holiday. Pretty and that's nice. something I'd say actually, like yeah. just say Adel Boden, it's a bit of a trip. So you fly into Zurich and I had to get uh, two trains and a bus when I saw the itinerary. But... It actually mm-hmm. was effortless. It's quite amazing, like in Israel, Switzerland. So when I looked at the timetable, there was like for the three of them, the longest gap was five minutes. Like somewhere you'd get off a train and you go from one platform to the other, and it was like a two-minute. But the, it was effortless. Uh, the Swiss know how to do it, and and my geography is pretty poor. You you were saying that's on the German border, is it? Yeah, yeah. So Alderboden is in the German side, so it's yeah. right in the middle of the country. So you're flying to Zurich. And then you 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 know you get the trains there, which I said is effortless, but it is the German speaking side, but absolutely stunning. Like it's this little town yes. surrounded by the mountains, and as I was saying, the World Championships is very famous for that. And I was lucky enough to go on on the actual ski run that they the same run. It's a black wow. run that the World Championships, and it was funny because I was with a bunch of people, and uh, the guide uh, points out to me like at the top of the run and says, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. <laughs> There's a Another a red run which didn't help my confidence at right, all. Yeah, and there was another guy Were you there. Scared out of your mind? no. Do you know what is funny? I, I, this weird thing, like <clears> where <throat> you know, if I'm told I can do it, I'll do it. But then if someone says you know you don't have to do it, right. I won't do it. But there was another guy there to go for it, and I'm so glad I did it because halfway down the run, like it really drops, but you can see the whole village in front of you. Must must be. Amazing, and the guide yeah. was saying like that when they're doing the run in the World Championships, like they fly off it, but there's thirty thousand people below you 
roaring you on. So you, I can imagine what the adrenaline, the adrenaline like. So it was a real buzz. Amazing. I don't think I'd like to ski, but I'd love the whole buzz of exactly. the resort. Is is that a possibility? Totally. And, and that's what I, the one thing I would say about Switzerland is I would go, it's the perfect country for that. And particularly somewhere like Adelboden, where if, you know, I would say to people like, just because you don't ski, because I have loads of mates that don't ski mm. and they don't get to experience the mountains. So, you know, and I, another thing is loads of, every local I talked to kept going how it's even more beautiful in the summer. But you can still go to these resorts and I would particularly say going to the resorts like, say, Edelboden in Switzerland where um, they're just so picture perfect and beautiful. And I was staying in this gorgeous hotel called the Cambrian. So you, you can stay in these amazing hotels, which price-wise, I mean, it's expensive, but maybe equivalent to the Europe price-wise in Ireland. But the views were the most beautiful I ever saw with amazing spas and, and you know, an affinity pool where you're looking out over the mountains. But there's loads of activities you can do. And, and on this trip, actually, I you know I did tobogganing, which anyone can do. I did snow, snowshoeing through the mountains. So it was at nighttime. It was very cold. It was in the dark. So this is walking like, on yeah, those things like tennis on, rackets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're clumping along real slowly and you're going through forests and over, you know, um, uh, overpasses. You can see the lights of the, of the village down below you. So, like, it was two hours and... But, it, you know, it was an amazing experience. So you can do things like that or you could do it during yes. the day, cramp on up to one of the mountain uh, restaurants and have a meal. So there's loads to do and, if you know, I would right. really recommend that. And, and cost of... Meals and drink and stuff. What 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 is that? Yeah, so like Switzerland is definitely a little bit more expensive mm. than any. You know, like just say Austria would be the cheapest. Yeah. Price wise is probably you know probably still that's the mad thing about Ireland. Living in Ireland is that it's probably Irish prices maybe a little bit more. You know, mm. but I mean you know like when you're in a restaurant in the mountains, you're, that's what you're paying for because you're paying for like the, the are, short yeah. season. Yeah. But I would really recommend as much uh, lampooning of the Irish when they're skiing. They say you can recognise them because they're in the little outfits up exactly. at the top well, of the east. I was joking about my gear because I was like going, mine are all white. I was saying how practical <laughs> is that like? You can't, you can't see me going down the mountain. Is know? there a snobbery about the gear and the whole yeah, image? And well, you know what, there isn't really because a lot of, I mean, you're really, there, there is and there isn't. I mean, like it's real roughness in a way because you're, yeah. you're skiing all day and you just, you know, you often, well, I love that at the end of the day, like just say the apres ski, everyone's in their gear and their boots and they might have their braces and so in a, in a way there actually isn't you know like some countries are yeah. and some places are, are where, where the super rich go but most resorts are actually very relaxed yeah. I have to say I'm surprised that the Americans coming over to Switzerland because I mean couldn't they go to Canada and, uh, I know yeah. and you know it was mad like in the hotel I was I was in uh, the pool like this amazing pool and there was uh, a couple of girls there who were American so I, I got talking to them. I was kind of intrigued. Mm. And they were wedding planners. So they were over from San Francisco and there was a couple then that came as well and they were planning to get married there this summer. And also having an afters then in Ireland in some private house in Good. Ireland. Yeah, it was amazing. Wow, that's And strange, there was Irish staff working there in the Cambrian as well, which was gas because it's like we were kind of in the inside. You know, he was he was asking me, would like some more wine? Like, <laughs> keep, keep me topped up, you know? Oh, I love it indeed. So your podcast this week, is it, is it all featuring ski? Exactly. Yeah. A, yeah, I've done a couple of ski yeah. specials. So it's a ski special again, you know, and I'll be giving facts or whatever about Elder Bowden and about Switzerland. Exactly. So I'd really recommend that for people. Right. Very good. 
And even a couch potato like me, if I said, ah, hell, I'd love to try this. Can you go out and start from scratch? Oh, completely. Um, yeah. Yeah, like every resort has nursery slopes, they call them, where you go and they're practically flat, you know, when you right. when you start, you don't think it. But yeah, and even if you, if you went there and you, you just did that for a day or two and kind of no... Uh, you know, like no expectations. Yes. it's no problem. But even the tobogganing like gives you the feel of the speed. Of but, course, but yeah. you just and you just use your heels to slow yourself down. But it's great crack. I have it's to great. Say. And and for skiing, do you need a fitness level, Fergal? How does that work? Yeah, you, you probably do a little bit. Yeah. That's that's where I that's where I uh, wasn't so legendary as I said. Like towards the end of each yeah. day, I could feel myself like the legs were start yeah. the legs were starting to go like a bit of bit of jelly, you know. So good, yes. and that was lovely. Like the hotel I was staying in, you know, yeah. um, had a gorgeous spa and like steam room and sauna, etc. So that was gorgeous for you know for your your bones. Sounds sounds just uh, lovely. Uh, and there is the direct flight then, Swiss Air to Zurich. Exactly. And then you get on your exactly. boat and train. Yeah, and it's so easy. Yeah. I mean, I was like, oh God, if I miss one, and then I only realised on the way back that like, if I'd missed my five sec- my five minute connection, there would have been another one. There's so many different options, yes. you know. And it's so gorgeous on the trains because you're going through over the lakes, these valleys with long lakes and, and mountains. And so the view, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of, I would consider part of the experience actually. You know? Is a great yeah. The Swiss really know how to do things properly, don't they? Um, tell me about your fundraiser because you're doing something special for MS. Yeah, I'm doing a little bit of work at the moment with MS Ireland, and on Wednesday, the first of March. So it, it's a fundraiser that they're doing. It's called Three Thousand Push Ups. So you know, we're talking about fitness. That's when I was going. I need to work on my fitness. So it's Three Thousand Push Ups in March, and it's a fundraiser. So all the details are on uh, ms-society.ie. But it's a great one because it sounds like a lot. Like, I mean, my Emer, my wife keeps going, what, you're going to be doing? But it actually, the way I'm breaking it down is you can you can do like a hundred a day. And, you know, if, if you, you, and even that sounds like a lot, but it isn't really, if, if you break it down, because, you know, the way I look at it isn't like, you know, over 10 times, like do 10. Right. And, and the beauty of these push-ups is that there's the traditional push-up, mm-hmm. but there's also... MS Ireland, like they've got physio programs for people with MS, so they've done like five different press ups. So they also wanted to make sure to do a fundraiser this year for people of all different capabilities, you know, like say people in a wheelchair, etc. So they've done five different types of push ups. So, you know, there's ones like standing, just pushing up against the wall or sitting down, you know, using your arms, just pushing against the desk or even on the ground, pushing in with your knees. So there's five different types. So uh, you know, on the main page of the, the MS uh, Ireland website, you can go in there and, and register, but also all the details and the different push-ups because I, I think it's a, it's a great one, actually, for, yes. the, for is, the month. Is that the condition that Charlie Bird has? Is, is that Charlie, is it MS I'm not too sure. Or, yeah. or not too sure. Or does he have... Is it Alzheimer's maybe? No, 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 it's certainly it? not Alzheimer's. Okay. I think it could be uh, MS, so it's getting a lot of uh, spotlight mm. on it, uh, and rightly so at the moment, because it's a dreadful condition. And every, every, well, everybody knows somebody yeah. who has it. I mean, to say, like, between 9,000, you know, but really I'd say it's over 10,000 yeah. people that have it in Ireland, and it's, uh, you know, like, 
I mean, MS Ireland do amazing work. Like they've, like they've, you know, ten regional offices around the country, but then local branches as well. And you know, like same as every charity, like during COVID times, there was a dramatic drop off. You know, things like churchgate collections and things like that that traditionally charities used to. I mean, you you know that now. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I know myself. You're uptown, flag days and things like that. You never have cash on you, yeah, so they're much more yeah, reliant. Yeah. But then on the positive side, say what they what MS Ireland really noticed, they went online for a lot of their fundraisers, and a lot of people really liked that. Like something like this push up challenge. You know, so many people now are working at home, um, and they need a little breaks. So mm. that's you know, I work from home, so that's yeah. where you, you have your little gaps. You know, you could be doing them in between the ads. You know, <laughs> while they're on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm off my head here, uh, <laughs> even without me doing that. Uh, there are details on the MS Society uh, website, though, isn't there, if it, you want to get involved? In yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Um, how are we looking for 2023, uh, do you think, you know, in terms of holidays and tours? Is there an appetite for it uh, this yeah, year? Is there... I saw some figures the other day, and they're saying that, um, I, I don't know which airport it was, but presumably we'll say Dublin, but it was like 2% up on 2019 levels which which is quite amazing do you know like because i was on here before talking to you and during the COVID times and they were saying it would be 2030 yes. before we yeah. go back so it, it it's gone back to like full like Aer Lingus are in profitability now Reiner have, have remained unprofitable. So the numbers are massive so now the challenge is the airlines are increasing their capacity and the capacity increase in Dublin Airport and all the airports, Cork and Shannon as well, the capacity by the airline is going to be dramatically increased, which means that the air, the airline, the airports have to make sure that they're able to deal with that capacity. With that, so that's yeah. going to be the big and of thing. Of course, you we've know? seen what happens uh, when that goes wrong mm. as well. Our learned listeners informing me that poor old Charlie has motor neuron disease, yeah, not not, yeah, yeah. not uh, MS. So thank and, you so much. Indeed. And actually, when I when I went to um, the airport there a couple of weeks ago. You know, I, I actually got the JJ Cavanaugh bus, which was great. It was very handy. But mm. I went really early thinking, you know, about the queues, etc. So I was hours in advance because I literally arrived at the airport in less than 15 minutes checking in. I had to check in a bag, get through security. And I was there like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. So, yes. so you had loads of time. And, and it seems like there was loads of staff oh, really nice. noticed that actually. Well, long may it continue. Fergal, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Great to see you. That's it from me. Uh, Emma produced. Ali looks after our content. Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel. And I will talk to you tomorrow, Bobby. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.